podcast this week, we say, aha, knowing me, Empire Podcast, knowing you, Steve Coogan, as he returns for another blast of Alan Partridge from the Oast House. Alan Partridge from the Oast House. Terrible impression, but great podcast. Not as good as this one, though, because we also have an extended interview with Jurassic World Dominion Extended Edition stars, Bryce Dallas Howard and DeWanda Wise. All that, plus usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is counting down the days. Not to Christmas, oh no, but until the day when we get to see Hey Dougie live at the Royal Festival Hall at South Bank Centre on December 22nd. Oh, it's going to be amazing. You've got your watching Hey Dougie live badge. A woof. Oh God. So excited. Hello, Paul. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, we're back in a small, depressing grey studio. It feels like home. It feels like home. And I'm joined by my two colleagues. Yes, two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Geek Queen. You're back as Geek Queen this week, Helen. I Hurrah. think it's fun. The nation is healing. Uh, Geek Queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. How are you doing? I am good. How are you? I am good, thank you. Yes, this is great. This is great banter. Okay. <laughs> We're also joined by our great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. Hello, James. How are you? I'm all right, Chris. How's it going? I'm very good. Yes. Excellent. This is also great banter. This is good banter. This is really good banter. I didn't think the point was to banter. I thought it was just to say hello. There's a... We're supposed to be bantering right now? Oh, this is just too much. A lot of pressure. Can I ask you both not to become hot under the collar as I take my top off. Oh, good Because Lord. it's getting a little bit... We've been recording this studio for a while. We turned off the air conditioning, I would say, about an hour and a half ago. And it's getting to the point now where it's getting a little bit steamy. Do you think? I'm all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally fine. Maybe I'm just aroused. It's unclear. Oh, God. So to de-arouse as you're taking yeah, off your top. I'm taking my top off. So to de-arouse you two, which yes. I'm hoping will bring the temperature so, down. It's like a bucket of cold water being <laughs> being thrown over us. Uh, nips out. Nips out. Yeah. Can I just say, before we get into it, um, how tremendously excited I am about Hey Dougie Live. Oh, please I, I'm stop gonna, I'm going to say this because Little Drinking Game doesn't <sighs> listen to the podcast because she doesn't even know what a podcast is. Uh, and uh, very, 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 very excited about this. I discovered mm-hmm. the other day that Hey Dougie, which is one of the greatest TV shows ever made, is uh, there's a live version of it uh, and it's at the Royal Festival Hall pretty much all the way through December and I got really good tickets the other day. Hey. Like I paid for it with my own money. I'm, I didn't pull any strings or anything I got there. I didn't get a freebie. I paid for it with my own money uh, that I will be expensing. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, so yeah, very, very excited about that. It's one hour long. Excellent. I haven't, I haven't booked any uh, Christmas theatre or anything yet, but I will. I will. Let me know. Let me know, folks. Let me know if there's any good Christmas stuff to bring kids to. Uh, but there you go. Uh, speaking of kids, that is the inspiration for this week's question. Uh, it comes from at CraigLe42 on Twitter. And he asks, my eight-year-old son wants to watch scarier films. What are the best gateway horror films to show to a child? Or do I just go for it and show him The Exorcist? Yes, definitely that. Uh, it's Coraline, isn't it? Coraline is absolutely terrifying. And it is a quote-unquote kids film. Except you'd be better off watching Alien. It's, it's, I think it's scarier for adults than kids. That you film. think? Because yes. it scared the living shit out of yeah, me. So, But it does. Like all, all the adults I saw coming out of the screening, I remember being traumatised. And the kids were like, hey, Coraline won. Spoiler. Um, so I, I think that is more traumatic for, for adults and kids, but it is a great film and they should definitely watch that. I think um, you can ease them in with some, uh, just that, that kind of thing, scarier end of animation uh, to begin with. So 
I would honestly include Pinocchio in that lot, but you may have seen that already. But things like, uh, you know, Paranorman's a good example. Monster House, I think, is perfect for this time of year and actually has entire shots and, and, and moments that are modelled on classic horror movies. There are shots that are lifted from It, there are shots that are lifted from Halloween, and it so it will kind of, you know, subconsciously almost prepare kids mm. for the classic horror to come. Interesting. Very interesting indeed. Huh. It's a tricky one for me, because do you know what my gateway horror film was? Your gateway horror was horror, though, wasn't it? It was horror. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Same. That I just kind of started watching horror films when I was about eight or nine or ten, and my parents just didn't care. Uh, and so, God, I remember watching probably more in my, probably when I was 12 or 13, just a little bit older, a little bit more emotionally mature. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I remember watching things like Dawn of the Dead and Reanimator and Halloween. And, you know, I have very strong memories watching Friday the 13th Part 2 with my friend, mm-hmm. Gary. Uh, whilst uh, we were on holiday in Newcastle in Northern Ireland and we were in one room and my parents and their friends were in another room watching something on TV and we were like, can we watch this incredibly violent slasher movie? You know, which obviously we had to then get them to rent for us. Yeah. But I remember watching all this stuff when I was like, wow. yeah, 10, 11, 12, something like that. Mm. Eight? Okay, I, eight? I don't is, know. Yeah, yeah. Eight, eight's a little bit on the young side even for starting horrors, crazy young. But I, I'm not sure I would do that with, you know, Little drink ago. I'm no. not sure. I would. I would. I. I, I would. I, yeah, it's. It's a tricky one. We're, we're still trying to gauge where she is with cinema. We watched Paddington the other day. It was on mm-hmm. TV. Or it was on the iPlayer. So we watched Paddington the other day, and she asked to have it taken off because it was making her scared. And we acquiesced. We said, "Okay, yeah, we, I don't think you're quite ready for Evil Dead 2. <laughs> no, I, th- I think Evil Dead Two. Another six months, anyway. Another six months. Probably, another six months. Yeah. But yeah. So I. Th- I think it's about like. Um, you know, it's about it's putting the frog in the water and boiling it slowly, not immersing the frog. Not is there a film in which that happens? Because that sounds great. No, that would that, be a great oh gateway God. horror film. Oh no, that would be that would be terrible. But uh, you know, I I the think Green eight, Inferno. I actually think eight is young for Return to Oz, for example. Right. So okay, so what age was I then? I'm trying to think what age I was. I would have been. I would have been about seven, maybe. Yeah, I would have been seven when I saw one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen, which is. The bit in Superman 3, where Robert Fawn's sister, played by Annie Ross, mm. is sucked into that machine yeah, and becomes some sort of evil, unstoppable killer robot thing. Yeah. And that that's... So that's that scary? That's incredible. Oh, yeah. That was I saw that in the scary. cinema, and recall, which was so clearly would have been early on, and I don't recall that is frightening. Absolute nightmare yeah. fuel. Absolute nightmare fuel. That is, that is horrifying. Uh, but I don't remember if I was watching horror films back then, but maybe I did. Maybe I was just like, you know what? You've given me the scariest thing you can possibly give me, cinema. So everything from this point on is going to be a <laughs> doggle. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, bring it on. Exorcist, yes, please. Because I have seen Annie Ross become, a f- now, looking at it now with adult eyes, a fairly unconvincing crapsy, <laughs> crap robot, but still. Yeah, I think that, that look, I, would, I think it's almost those kind of one-off scenes are a good gateway thing to do as well, those films with scary bits that are not consistently terrifying. I think eight is too young for the consistent just building, building, building tension of the very best horror movies. Um so you you know, it's the things like like Miyazaki is a good example. There are things in most, not all Miyazaki films, that are absolutely freaking terrifying. Mm. Um 
but there's also you know light stuff and fun stuff and and some comfort there as well so i would i would yeah i would still lean kind of animation i yeah. guess yeah not not, like, not um, solely animation i mean some of the amblin stuff as well you know even the, something like the goonies i know yeah. your favorite gremlins, gremlins probably isn't a bad entry level horror ghostbusters no, so of- gremlins a problematic one because well, Gremlins tells you about Father Christmas not being real. So yeah, that, that's not, a whole... And, and no, I'm aware mm. that there are some issues other than the horror in Gremlins that you probably want to look out for. But but Gremlins is technically a 15. It is a 15. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Not yeah. suitable for children. So, but uh, is Ghostbusters a 15? Ghostbusters is a PG, I'm pretty sure. PG. Yeah, yeah, Ghostbusters yeah, yeah. So is Ghostbusters a PG. Is fine, yeah. uh, and again, Ghostbusters would have been... So 83, 84 would have been that double whammy. I've talked mm. about this in the podcast before, but Ghostbusters for me is... You know, that, you know, that's my gateway horror film. Now I think about it, mm. really, because it's it's about horror. Uh, but it's got some of the... Still some of the scariest things I, I can ever remember as a kid. The arms punching through the chair and grabbing Sigourney mm. Weaver and then dragging her into the, the hell dimension. And... You know the 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 terror demons and just general gozer the whole thing. The I mean it's it's weird, isn't it? The, the horrific moments that stay with you. That the brain um, brain worms in oh. Star Trek: Wrath of Khan. Mary mm-hmm. alive. Freaking terrifying. <laughs> so Bay. scary. Bay. Mm-hmm. You uh, can just run through your your playlist there. <laughs> so you just get it all out of your system. Yeah. Oh, do, you, do you know any other lines from that film, Jack? No, absolutely not. Gone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have been and always shall be my friend. Like the actual good lines. Of it. Nah, this was the most human. human. Uh, yeah, no, the airworms. The airworms are upsetting. The airworms are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The most profoundly scary thing in that film now, watching it these days, is that it's about getting older mm. and yeah. needing spectacles and whatnot. Yeah, that's more terrifying than. <laughs> It's a, great, it's a great line about spectacles as well. Basically, the Federation has, I realise we're off topic, the Federation has no, like solved um, you know, mach- uh, ocular degeneration and, and short-sightedness and everything else, but but he's allergic to the drug that fixes it, so he has to wear glasses. Like It's just uh, it's such a good line. I love it. Amazing. What a film. What a film. So Jimbo, were you the same as me? That, uh, that you know, horror was your gateway to horror? Full fat horror from day one. I had a- From day one? F- from day one, yes. Well, I was one year old, no. Uh, I, you were watching Slay Dougie? Yes. Yeah, no, I watched a lot of horror films because there was uh, my friend Nick, who was a year older than me. He was really into horror and he knew a guy in the video store who would just give us whatever we wanted. Uh, and so we ended up hiring horrific shit like The Fly and a straight-to-video film called The Bite, which I've talked about on this podcast before, which I still have the images from seared into my head. I've also talked about the trauma that I had from Creepshow 2, which has never left me. It led me to have nightly panic attacks for months. Which one, The Raft? Uh, it was The Raft sequence, yeah. I didn't mind the other ones, but The Raft sequence fucked me up. See, I feel like when this questioner asks for entry-level horror that's exactly the outcome they're trying to yeah, avoid it is. You know, it is, yeah. i don't want to put words in their yeah, mouth but right. i'm guessing that's what yeah. they're trying to don't around. do what i did because yeah. otherwise you end up like me yeah another option genuinely is sort of old school horror 50s and earlier so yeah. you know like the yeah. original king kong has some scary bits or yeah. things like all the man in suit <laughs> films all the man in suit films is really what i'm thinking so um you know creature from the, from the black lagoon that kind of stuff them with the giant ants werewolf by night okay but that's you realize that's not from the 50s that's I mean, just in black and white it more or less is but yes everything from the 50s is black and white the that's blob, right. yeah. which wasn't in black the and blob white. yeah the Although, remake of the blob is quite grim it is yeah. it's, it's not uh, available not anymore what I'm but that was 1988 that one so that's not a that's not a, that's not a 
gate. Well, what would age would I would have been? You know, twelve, I guess, eleven or twelve when I yeah, first saw the blog. Same here. Probably shouldn't have been doing that. But yes, Hammer Horror. Hammer Horror was a huge thing for me, like a huge gateway horror drug. Because Hammer Horror is, uh, you know, obviously it's a bit lurid, it's a little gory, it's a little scary. But you know, you can't go wrong with those early Hammer films. You can't go wrong with Dracula or Horror of Dracula if you live in the states, or Frankenstein, or Curse of Frankenstein, or Frankenstein must be destroyed, or Dracula, Prince of Darkness, which is the best one for my money you know any of those those great ones or um oh what's the one i really really you know the, the best one is the devil rides out which is just an, an extraordinary uh film and don't a lot of those have like very scantily clad ladies uh some of them do but there's no nudity okay uh, until the 70s when they become a right, little right, bit exploitation yeah. and they started throwing in some boobs to try and you know get some <gasps> boobs. Uh, yeah i'm afraid there were some boobs uh but no you know downstairs areas uh and you know peter cushing yeah, you know, I usually always trying to ward off evil. Mm. You know, so, yeah. So a lot of that hammer stuff, or you know, classic we, we talked, Universal monsters as well. Yeah, Universal um, monsters. Yeah, the mummy, the original mummy, also the ninety nine mummy. Mm. Uh, but uh, you know, that Dracula, that Wolfman. Yeah, as well, well big, uh, yeah, big one for me was Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Oh yeah, uh, which they meet them all. Mm. Yeah, it's simple. For some reason, the title was just meet Frankenstein. Carry on screaming. No, probably boobies. Uh, no, again, no boobies. No, again, no carry on had no boobies the until, until the 70s. Yeah, they had the mm. implication of boobies, but mm. yeah. actual boobies. No, the carry ons didn't really get lewd until, again, the 70s when they were just trying to. The audience figures were, were dwindling and mm-hmm. the, it was dying a little bit. And the carry on Emmanuel is the nadir of that franchise. Uh, so maybe that's your gateway horror. Just show them the, the worst <laughs> carry on films. Carry on Columbus? Okay. Carry on Columbus is is the nadir of the franchise, but I always feel that one's so separate from the rest of the, the carry on movies. Uh, there may be some people listening to this who don't know what the carry on franchise is because they've kind of gone away a little bit. You can't really get a box set of the carry on films. They're not as, as ever present on TV as they used to be, but it was a series of, of films that were made uh, in the in the UK uh, through the 50s, 60s and 70s and had a, a coterie of incredible British acting talent Sid James and Hattie Jakes and Barbara Windsor and Kenneth Connor and Kenneth Williams and Charlie Hawtrey and Bernard Breslau and just some of these amazing, amazing uh, uh, you know, actors. Uh, first Carry On movie, do you know what it was? No. Carry on, Doctor. Carry on, Sergeant. Sergeant. Do you know who starred in Carry on, Sergeant? Never starred in a Carry on movie after that. Whereas they had this recurring cast, and each mm. each one had a different topic and a different theme, and was set in a different place. And the the, the best one, the the one that's most widely considered to be the best, is Carry on, Screaming, which is their kind of Hammer horror riff and parody, and mm. has loads of lines, loads of great lines, and has Harry H. Corbett in it as well. But uh, Carry on, Sergeant starred. A young Bob Monkhouse. Oh, cool. That's pretty cool. There you go. I have seen that one then. Gateway Horror. Gateway Horror. <laughs> it's so good. But yes, Hammer, uh, early Universal stuff. And just look for look for things like um, Something Wicked This Way Comes, which is a terrifying Ooh. film from the 80s. I'm pretty sure that is quote-unquote kid-friendly, mm. as in it doesn't have any like major murders or deaths or, or gore, but is utterly terrifying so yeah Maybe. I'd go with that as well I, I'd steer clear of the path that James and I trod mm. uh, which is you know I, I'm sure I've said this in the podcast before but I I I <laughs> I had the novelization of the Nightmare on Elm Street films when I was it, I must have been 10 or 11 and I brought it into primary school and I 
had a, an audience, a captive audience of kids who gathered around me because I was like, look at this book, look what I've got. And I would read out the most gory parts to them and have this, you know, and Freddy's claws sliced open, you know, their face and all the eyes fell out and bumbled around the cheek for a little bit, you know, like pure Garth Marenghi shit. And uh, unfortunately, my the flaw of my plan was I read this book out loud to this group of kids directly outside the staff room, which had the window open. And so the headmaster of the school came out, just grabbed the book off me and I never saw it again. So there you go. Yeah, that's sad. A lesson to be learned, our yeah. kids. A lesson to be learned. Uh, all right. I think we've covered Gateway Horror, unless you have anything else you want to say? No, just reiterate Monster House. Monster House. I really think it's a very good start. If you're just looking for one film, mm-hmm. Monster House is a really good, good It one. is good. It is good. All right. There we go. If you want to have your question read out in the Apera podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, as indeed that one did, then you can get in touch with us on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. You can slide into my DMs where you can wait for a panicked shout out every now and again. And sometimes I'll stockpile questions, which is what I did with that question. So thank you very much indeed for that question. All right. Should we have a guest? Let's do it. All right. So we got a couple of guests this week. Uh, we have Steve Coogan Ooh. talking about Alan Partridge from the Oast House, or we have Bryce Dallas Howard and DeWanda Wise, who are the stars of Jurassic World Dominion and Jurassic World Dominion Extended Edition, which is also out now. It's an extra 14 minutes of footage. But uh, one thing that's occurred to me uh, is that DeWanda Wise, I don't know whether you guys know this, DeWanda Wise's name mm-hmm. scans mm-hmm. perfectly to the tune of Curtis Steiger's breakout I want to say 80s hit, but maybe 90s hit. I feel like 90s. I feel like maybe 90s. Uh, Curtis Steigers is a fantastic jazz man singer with a very distinctive voice. And uh, he plays one of those wibbly instruments. You know, it's not a saxophone, but clarinet. Maybe he's a clarinet player. Anyway, uh, and he had one huge hit and it was called I Wonder Why. I went, I wonder why we hold on. I realized the other day, that DeWanda Wise fits that perfectly. Right. Try it. Try it at home. Try it at home. And okay. DeWanda and DeWanda Wise, we hold on with oh. tears in our eyes. And DeWanda Wise, we have to break down. Yeah, you see? Is this like when I discovered that Anna Karenina scans to La Donna Mobile? It's exactly Anna like Karenina. that. You know, it's, it helps me like remember her full name. It's just me, Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina, Anna Karenina, Anna Karenina. Rachel Weiss. Yes, yes. Oh, Danny Boyle. Oh, Danny Boyle. Oh, DeWanda Wise. Uh, Anyway, who do you want first? Should we have Steve Coogan first and we'll save those two for later on? Let's do it. All right, so here we go. Steve Coogan. Uh, So, Alan Partridge, you know him. He is one of the great comic creations uh, of all time, I would say. And one of the great things about Steve Coogan and the Gibbons brothers, Neil and Rob, who have kept the Partridge flag flying over the last few years, is that they don't let the character get stale by trying him out in a bunch of different formats. One of those formats debuted a couple of years ago now, I guess, and it was a podcast version uh, called Alan Partridge from the Oast House, uh, in which Partridge got up close and personal by recording his own podcast. And it was so successful. It was an Audible original, exclusive of available only on Audible. And it was so successful that they brought him back for a second series. Give him a second series, you shits. And they have. 
So that's nice. Uh-huh. And uh, aha! And uh, so I had the pleasure of talking to Steve Coogan uh, the other day on my birthday because it was my birthday. And so I mentioned this to Steve Coogan and obviously he was visibly moved, uh-huh. as you will hear in this interview. So we talk about Partridge, keeping Partridge fresh and things he's doing outside Partridge. So here we go. Me talking to Steve Coogan on my birthday. Thank you for the birthday wishes. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast uh, by the star of the second season of Alan Partridge from the Oast House, cracking new podcast. It is, of course, the one, the only Steve Coogan. How are you, sir? Are you good? I'm very good. Yeah, how are you? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, you know, it's my birthday today, Steve. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Happy birthday. How old are you? 34? I'm not going to tell you how old. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm, I'm, that's compromising information. So I'm, I'm, keeping that one, I'm keeping that one safe. But uh, someone said to me, you know, how would you like to spend your birthday interviewing Steve Coogan? Obviously, that's what I want to do. But have you ever worked on your birthday? Have you ever had a... Need to get out more. If that's what that's what. Yeah, <laughs> I, work, yeah, I work on my birthday. Also. Well, when you get to a certain age, you just stop bothering your birthdays. Just remind you of the uh, inevitable uh, on, onslaught of the, the march of death. So, so you tend to skip them. Oh, oh well, you know, you just don't make a fuss about them. You don't. So, if you're on set, you don't demand that you have a cake or anything like that. No, I don't do that. No, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, normal. I mean, I'm, I'm either in two two modes. I'm either in work mode or down tools mode. And uh, right now, I'm sort of uh, I'm sort of in a bit of a down tools mode. So I'm up in the lakes, just uh, kicking back. Uh, my birthday's coming up, but I'm no special plans for it. Uh, and or or I'm sort of on on I'm you know. And if I'm doing something normally when I'm working, I'm not, not always, but but. Most of the time, I'm sort of producing something as well. So if I demand something, I'm demanding it of myself. So if I'm a prima donna, then I'm being a prima donna to myself as the producer. So uh, it doesn't work. (laughs) So you've down tools at the moment because you are you're perpetually busy. I would say. Well, I w- I went through about two year period this this last two years, but a very lot a lot. You know, I mean, it's all uh, what they call first world problems when you have a lot of work especially if it's, you know you enjoy your work as i do then uh you know it's it's good it sort of keeps you gets you out of bed in the morning um and i did i did a few dramas and and uh a, a richard the third film and a channel four thing and uh a, a, then a, a jimmy savile drama and yeah. uh and the, uh, the the last series at this time with Alan Partridge, it's just just under two years ago. So for the last two years, I've just been jumping from one project to another. That just finished with uh, with the podcast. Um, so, and I did a live tour as well. So yeah, I, I did a live tour. I just forgot about that. Uh, uh, doing arenas around around the UK. So uh, I did that, and then so it's been pretty busy. But I'm very grateful to be doing what I enjoy and. Uh, and and right now it's sort of in a period of sort of stop, take a breath, and then uh, plan plan what what you're going to do next. So, yeah. yeah. So once uh, once stratagem, which which I I saw at the O2 and very much enjoyed. Once once that came to an end, uh, clearly you forgot all about it. So it must have been an yeah. interesting one. I jumped straight into. After, I mean, you can get a bit of OD. You can OD on Alan Partridge, uh, and I've been doing a lot of him, and then did the podcast straight after the tour. So I am sort of, apart from talking to you about it now, I am definitely withdrawing from the Partridge. Uh, 
mode. I'm going to go into some other stuff, but I'll, I'll go. I'll you know. I'll I will I will return to the Partridge front line at some point. Yeah. <laughs> when do you know it's time to go back to the Partridge front lines? Do 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 Rob and Neil give you a nudge, or do you think okay now I want to do something, or do you think of something that you haven't done before? As it has, you got to, you have to, well you have to sort of change the records to to. What we realised is, unless we want to do it, it won't be any good because it'll, it'll. If you phone it in, then it will just, it will show. People can tell, you know, it'll lack love, and uh, so, so it's really when we we feel enthused, um, because we f- still find it. I still find it funny, and it just, you know, I could do other comic things, but it's just easy just to chuck it all in the bucket. Marked Alan, uh, so. Uh, so we have got other ways of doing things. You know, I'm I'm thinking of doing uh, an album as Alan, for example, of, of songs. Because in the latest podcast, he reveals that he's he's met a guy who writes jingles called Nathan. He writes radio jingles, and he's got a radio studio. He's got a recording studio, and and Alan is trying to uh, rope him into writing uh, to letting him record songs because Alan hasn't done that yet. And uh, so at the end of some of the podcasts, you hear a song that Alan's recorded with his new friend, uh, Nathan. Uh, so, so, so those are little teasers and we might do an album. So the thing is, if you change formats, you do different things. We write books and stuff. Um, you sort of keep that partridge thing going. And it, it, as long as you, what keeps, stops it becoming stale is plugging into whatever's going on at the time. So yeah. you're not just repeating yourself. So you react to events um, and and to the news cycle and to, to sort of current thinking and you know, cultural changes. You just filter through Alan and, um, and you get a whole new set of jokes, basically. Yeah, and it, it's, uh, it's fascinating. So you, you don't, for example, sit down and go, all right, we haven't done... Lists we haven't done, for example, famous. Well, you know, in the in the uh, in I'm Alan Partridge, there's there's reference made to a quiz show that Alan hosts, but we've never seen you actually host a quiz show as Alan Partridge. No, no, yeah, uh, yeah, I've forgotten about. That. I think it's called Skirmish. It is, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so uh, no, we haven't done that, but we'd have, we'd sometimes toy with that. I was going to do that on stage, but. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't work out. Uh, yeah, I was going to do a quiz show on stage with, with contestants up on the audience right. and then, you know humiliate them, but uh, that didn't work out. So um, uh, we, we do sometimes think what you know. Well, there are certain sort of uh, things in the bucket that we haven't used. So we've got we've got some ammo left in the you know the uh, arms store. If I can continue the metaphor, yes, yeah, go uh, for it. So, um, so yeah, we, we, I think we're going to do, we think we could do possibly do some interviews with real people. That's the thing. Well, next thing, next thing we do is maybe I'll do this album. I'll do a book. Then, then uh, I want to do a documentary series going around Britain, trying to find out what it is to be British, uh, to find the soul of, you know, of Britain and interview people from all over to try and capture the, the character of of what it is to be uh, British in the 21st century. Uh, so we'll do that at some point. And, um, and the other thing we haven't done is do Alan talking to real people. Like we, I've done it occasionally. I did the odd, I've done the odd interview. I interviewed, I interviewed Brian Ferry about 25 years ago. And I interviewed uh, Noel Gallagher 
and uh, uh, I interviewed Roger Daltrey as well. But anyway, we thought maybe we could actually do a talk show and talk to actually real people and we and uh, see how, see how that turns. We haven't done that yet, so there's there's plenty more stuff to do. Uh, well, it's it's fun. The, the point is, yeah, if you we enjoy we do enjoy Alan. We treat it as if it's the first time we've written something. We treat it as if we're going to Edinburgh with the show. We what we can't what you can't do is try to uh, is try to be infected by what other people think and uh so you, you sort of you you um you, you treat it as, as if you're doing it yourself for for your own amusement if mm. as it were that's that's the key to making it work and i think uh the, the you know this the the different formats mean you do different things for example the live show as alan i had to make a lot of the comedy there quite broad and quite sort of crowd pleasy if you like uh so because of course when you're live you 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 often have to uh, have tr- tr- trigger points, uh, not punchlines, but certainly trigger where, you, where the audience know you laugh now. You know, sort of thing. It's sort of you have to say this is the this is the funny line. You have to sort of present it a bit. Whereas the podcast is much more liberating because you can be as esoteric, self indulgent, and obscure as you lo- like, which we love to do, and um, and. If sixty percent of the audience don't get the joke, we don't care. <laughs> there's enough. There are enough uh, purists out there who we know will appreciate it. And sometimes, you know, to keep a character, to keep its um, keep its DNA intact, you have to uh, keep it pure and and and, uh, and let people find those jokes and and um, risk almost alienating a large part of the audience by just being super super uh, refined and nuanced in in the podcast and because no one people don't listen to podcasts you know 10,000 people don't sit in a room and listen to a podcast they listen to it almost all, almost exclusively on their own yeah uh you might get a couple of people listen to podcasts together but, but podcasts are listened to by people alone therefore they can choose where they want to laugh it doesn't matter there's no like being part of a group so it means you can it, 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 yeah it's uh, it's just a different a different thing so was the intention always to do a second series of From the Oast House because of that freedom it affords you? Uh, yes, we wanted to because it was it's a totally different d- 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 discipline. So sort of like, uh, you know, you, you sort of apply, you you can, yeah, we want we wanted to do, if we, if we got if someone, you know, Audible Camel said, will you do another one? We were like, yeah, okay, we will because we feel like we can push the envelope a bit. And also because, you know, we did try to be, we almost tried to sort of sabotage ourselves on the first one by being so uh, odd and peculiar <laughs> that we thought most people won't like this. And yet, but it was number one in the audible, you know, in the the podcast charts, whatever it is, or certainly audible podcast charts for um, a month or so. Uh, anyway, they were very happy, and they said, "We can we have another one?" And we went, "All right, yeah. uh, uh, we will." Uh, so we we've done eleven. I think I think we're going to do another eleven in the new year. So it's just be twenty two and all. But they are, um, I really enjoy them because I'm, I re- I make I record them in my home, uh, my home, and uh, I don't have to dress up as Alan. <laughs> I was going to say you don't have to don the, the accoutrement of of Alan. No, but we but we do uh, as far as is practicable. We do. Um, uh, we do we do we do things live rap, reportage style like Radio Four roving reporters. We don't you know we don't um, do 
a lot of post-production. I mean, we do things so that they, so that uh, if you see people, so if Alan's driving a car, you know, I am in a car, not not uh, being driven by someone. You know, we sort of simulate things. So the soundscape is live, as it were. Mm-hmm. I think we do one about wild, wild swimming, and I did get in a river you know, like, and start sort of splashing around with the microphone over the river, just to give it that you know, authenticity. We do, we do go, we do get, go out there and do it, even though it's sound, and it gives it a sort of a, you know, when you listen to Radio Four drama. I don't yeah. know if you ever ever come across it. To me, it almost 95 percent of the time, it just sounds like Radio Four drama actors. As soon as you you hit that dial, as soon as you come across it, you don't have people say it talking normally. Uh, you know, you, you know. If drama is, is authentic on radio, you should not be able to tell the difference for a few seconds between a real live uh, um, broadcast and a drama, but you can immediately because they always adopt this kind of voice as if they're on the radio and they speak like this, very breathy, as if to say, look, uh, you can't see me, but you can certainly hear me because I'm breathy and trying to make myself feel present to you. You know, it's, they, they all talk like that and I don't, it, it, it baffles me. Um, I think it's, um, and then whenever they put any doors or cars or sound, sounds of doors being closed, you know it's a Foley artist in the background doing the noise. It all sounds artificial and sterile. Um, so we thought, let's just do the stuff. As far as it's practical, do stuff. Alan's out and about, Alan's walking through a forest, we walk through a forest. You know? So um, it gives it that, that real-life vibe, yeah. This is the second uh, the second series of from the Oast House. You did two seasons of I'm Alan Partridge. You've done two series of of List Time as well. You know, how do you know when to come back to something? For example, there hasn't been a second Partridge movie. Don't know if that's something you'd ever consider again. Uh, uh, no, we haven't. Not we just no 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 reason. I mean, it's not. We might even. I, don't know. I mean, the thing is, you sort of uh, it it. It's it's sort of you know I don't know how worthwhile it is. I, mean, I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say never. You really have to make sure it it's uh, it's quite a tall order to do a uh, movie. But um, was, it, was it a tougher experience than than say doing it was TV very shows? Hard, but, well, it was very intense. I just done Philomena, the, 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 the film, and I jumped straight onto Partridge, and it wasn't ready. It was a it was the hardest I've ever worked in my life. It was like, I mean, it was just, I felt like Ernest Shackleton stuck in Antarctica. Um, uh, it, it, if you can imagine a comedy version of that. Um, uh, so, uh, but um, it was, yeah, that was very, very hard. And, and I, I, you know, I, I was rewriting with the Gibbons, you know, like, scenes we shot a few days and it was all very fancy camera work and it to make it like a movie and it just sucked the comedy out of it and i remember standing in the edit suite and people saying oh this looks great doesn't it, it looks really filmic and really and i thought oh, i'm just gonna have to say it you know it's not very funny is it and then a sort of silence descended in the room and uh yeah I, I, I sort of, I was at the helm of the ship too, so I, I, was, I was sort of in charge, really. And so I said, "Look, we're going to have to reshoot the, the first week, and again, do it all again, and and shoot it in a different way." And anyway, we it was just it, that was a very tough experience, uh, but we got through it. 
I, I, what I, I think after about a, we, we, ten days, we started to get the rushes back, and we cut together, and we realised. I said, look, it's, this is going to be funny. It's going to work. It's going to be a funny film. We just have to keep going, and uh, it won't be easy, but we know it's possible. So we just and we were rewriting stuff every evening. I was I, when the cameras were turning round downstairs. I, I was in this sort of thing, simulating radio studio where we had this siege. I would, we'd shoot a scene. When the cameras were turning round to shoot in the opposite direction, I would run upstairs to the writers' room to try and write a bit more with Shit. the game. And then run back down as Alan to, to ready when the camera was turning, and so I was literally running all all over the place. It was nuts, but uh, so maybe I won't do another one of those. I don't know. I mean, you know, we you do need. I do need to go off and do other things. You know, uh, I I wanted. There's a couple of films that I've written with uh, a couple of different people um, because I I was partnering up with different people. When I'm writing. Uh, I write with. I've got a various different writing partners, and I want to keep those partnerships going. Yeah, of uh, so I need to attend to them, and I value them. So uh, I, I need to go and, and sort of tend to that water that garden uh, <laughs> really before it sort of withers and dies. So I, yeah, uh, yeah. So a couple of films I want to direct. So I want to. Direct, there's two movies I want to direct that Amazing. I've written. And that's what I need to concentrate on. And I need to sort of step away from Alan for a bit and then uh, uh, go and do, do my other things. Because, the, because there's a sort of symbiotic rela- relationship in, in sort of the work I do that between my, you know, if all I did was Alan Partridge, I'd go, I'd be in a lunatic asylum by now. Yeah. Uh, but because I do the other stuff, uh, one serves the other. You know, I, my enthusiasm for all the other films and, uh, and dramas and things that I'm able to write are, are is undimmed. And so the other stuff produced with other people is, um, it's a fertile environment for me because yeah. I, it sort of uh, exercises the Alan part of Jimmy. And, <laughs> and then, and once yeah. I've done that stuff for a while, the more sort of um, grown up stuff, then it's quite nice to go back to Alan and put on the warm jacket of, uh, of silliness and do a bit of daft, daft comedy. Amazing. We'll see if we've got ready to go. But uh, but thank you for doing this on my birthday, taking time out on my birthday to, to, to do this. But uh, the last thing I want to ask real quick is, I've been racking my brains. I don't think you've ever done anything around Alan's birthday in, in all these years, is it? Well, that's a very interesting point because we are deliberately obscure about his we always decided he was 10 years older I mean, when i started doing Alan, i was 26 and we made him 10 years older well i'm 56 and so i guess alan's really i think alan is i would say you know i think we tried to shorten the, the gap between my age and his so i think it, it, he's probably about five years older than me. i think alan's now you know he's he's early 60s all right. Early sixties is 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 how old he probably is. I think, but we 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 don't want to be too specific about it, or, or because I think we may have done it. In the, I mean, we may have talked about it because I think it sort of ham. It leaves you hamstrung. The t- biggest problem with Alan is there's so much detail out about his life. We've constructed a whole life, and you need to have this archivist because there's like a memory that other people other people know Alan's memory so we can't make a mistake and say something that didn't we need someone who's got his timeline and sort of a we need to write out a timeline with exactly all the events that happened I mean god it would cover like three or four walls 
you know, in, in the writing room. That, that's the tough thing we just don't know when it was, when it was, uh, you know, to, to cross referencing because you make stuff up and you go, hang on, where did he go to university? I can't remember. Did he go to university? Where did he go? Oh, was it? Yeah. I, mean, I can't remember. You know, you make, you make stuff up that's funny and then, but you have to, you have to be careful because you, you need to stick to it. And you know, we have to give it, you have to have integrity um, with stuff. So, but birthdays are boring when after you, after you're 50, they're just boring. Well, I'm not there yet, Steve. I'm not there yet. Ah, that's a, I'm, oh, no, I'm, I know. I'm not, I know, I'm not know. giving you my exact age, obviously, but for, for personal reasons, you know, GDPR you're clearly, and all you're that. You're clearly in your 30s, but... Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you. Best compliment I'll have all day. Steve Coogan, absolute pleasure. Thanks, man. Yes. Ciao. Okay, so that was Steve Coogan talking about Alan Partridge from the Oast House Series 2. It's available now. Uh, I don't know whether it's available in its entirety now or whether it's going to be one episode a week. You'd think I would have known that, but... I don't. And that is the level of quality broadcasting you can come to expect from the Empire Podcast. Anyway, what I do know is that it's available on Audible. So check it out. Go to Audible and search for From the Oast House and you will be able to wallow in some cracking partridge. Okay. Helen has been Googling furiously whilst I was doing that. And have you been Googling movie news, Helen, or have you been Googling Curtis Steigers? I'm just saying he's aged extremely well and looks a lot better now than he did in the 90s. Uh, but I've been Googling movie news, of course. I, I didn't look that up. I knew that already. And the movie news is fascinating this week. Can we, can we, can we start with the most exciting one? What's there the is exciting very exciting one? news. Keanu Reeves. Yes. Keanu Reeves, sequel. Keanu Mundi. <gasps> what? Yeah. Yes. Not Constantine, mind. No. Constantine. Constantine. Francis mm. Lawrence, who directed the original, it was his debut, is also back. Akiva Goldsman is writing the script. And, <laughs> uh, and it's a Constantine sequel. Hurrah! Yeah, that is very exciting. He is so good in that film. He's and so it's, good. I always think it's such a shame that that film really wasn't largely liked because I thought it was fantastic. I think we liked it. I remember us coming out. I was literally jumping up and down outside Warner Brothers and certain other members of the then Empire team were like, mm, it's all right, wasn't it? It's okay, like, I, I guess. I think you'll find it was like, fabulous. It was so fun. Yeah. I mean, gee, I wonder who that was. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't possibly say, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm super here for for a sequel, and uh, and I kind of hope that they find a way to get Lucifer back. Oh yes, maybe even Gabriel. Shall we explain what Constantine is for people who may not? Yes, know? this is the uh, this is the extraordinarily loose adaptation of the classic comic about um, Hellblazer. Hellblazer about a, a magic user called John Constantine. Um, there are. Let's be honest, more faithful adaptations of the character <laughs> since, um, which keep the Liverpudlian accent and the blonde hair and the yes. UK setting. This is not that. This is Keanu Reeves, uh, dark haired, as is only right and proper in LA, but it's a sort of LA gothic take on him as a private detective type magician. And his Scouse accent is pretty bad. Well, it's so bad you can't even hear it. Yeah, yeah. and um, and he is in that film. He's trying to help Rachel Vice's character. Rachel Vice. Maybe he can help the Wonderwise in no, the new one. No, that would be fine. Yes. No. Um. So anyway, he yeah he he helps people with his use of magic. He's not unlike my beloved Harry Dresden books. If you have read those, and if you haven't, you should. They're a lot of fun. Um. But he's um he's kind of you know a chain smoker. He's got a bit of an attitude. Uh, he's got cool tattoos. He's yeah. just great yeah. in it. The only thing I don't like about Constantine is the final shot. Is it bad to talk about the final shot of the film? 
the last moment of the film? Remind me. He puts gum in his mouth when I just think it would have been so much cooler if he just lit up another cigarette. Oh my God, no smoking fucks. isn't cool. No, and smoking Kate. isn't cool at all. And I don't any ever it's condone it. character growth. But I, lo- I, I just, I thought it would have been much more in keeping with him. Just like no fucks given, you know, the whole sort of like his whole attitude. But the whole point is he has renewed hope for life. It's in a demonstration of faith in the future that he lacked at the beginning of the story. It's very, it's a key moment. James. I don't understand. What is this character growth of which you speak, Helen? <laughs> you make a compelling point. I, I love Constantine so much. When we did the Keanu Reeves ranking, uh, it was very, very high on my list. I think it is. We did do a Keanu Reeves ranking, didn't we? We did. It seemed. We? I, 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 I recall. Like we a, I recall we did one. Did yeah. we run it in the magazine? We must have done. I don't know. We've definitely had the conversation, either on mic or off. But we've definitely done a Keanu Reeves. I'm pretty ranking. sure we've done it. Did what, we not do one? What would the number one be, Chris? Did, on. We di- we discussed it unless it got bumped for something else. No, we definitely recorded it. Let me just see. Feels like I, it would be Matrix Point Break. That does sound right. And then other films. <laughs> Keanu. Yeah, because Nick was there. He was talking about Bill and Ted. That would not be on the list. Yeah, it Keanu Reichen, 2019. Mm, no. The Matrix one. Oh, the speed was one. second place. Oh, speed. Yeah, yeah good chat. Um, yes. When we did a Keanu Reeves ranking uh, with the podcast, which is almost certainly available right now, <laughs> uh, we, yeah, Constantine got a lot of love. It came fifth. That's about right. I mean, came, yeah. the thing about Keanu Reeves that people don't always give him enough credit for is he actually has. A, a, a really solid number of very, very good films, mm. you know, and, and unconnected. It's not just just like he got one franchise and kind of lucked out with that, you know. To nobody by accident makes The Matrix and Speed and Point Break and John Wick and Constantine. Does John does the and rank, by does the ranking predate John Wick? Or was no, it because no, no. Uh, the the ranking uh, incorporates all. Uh, in fact, the only John Wick film that didn't make the top ten was John Wick Chapter Three, which I was a bit surprised by. Uh, but the Keanu <laughs> gone off the beaten path here. But the Keanu Reeves <laughs> top ten was Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey at number ten. Yeah. Uh, Much Fair. Ado About Nothing at nine. Yep. My Own Private Idaho at eight. Solid. I mean, it's a great film, but he doesn't play uh, chess with death. At number seven. Or Twister with Death, even. Uh, number seven, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. What? First no- of all, Bogus Journey is better. And I know. Excellent I was, Adventure is rubbish. It's not rubbish. It is. But Bogus Journey is better, and yes. I was a bit stunned by that. That's number mental. six is John Wick. Number five is Constantine. Number four is John Wick Chapter Two. Number three is Point Break. Number two is Speed. And number one is The Matrix Reloaded. I mean, I think we kind of nailed that, <laughs> if I'm honest. We're ignoring the trolling at the end there. What trolling? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. But we were talking about Ken Reeves. Yes, as we Constantine, were. which yeah. of course he's brilliant. That said, I did very much enjoy Jenna Coleman as Joanna Constantine. She was great in Sandman. Yeah, does she course, do a Scouse accent? She does not. No, no. we should. Which is something we talk about in the Sandman spoiler special. Which yes, yeah, any minute now. Any minute now. Any um, but, minute now. Yeah, no. Look, I, all Constant, Constantines and Constantines are you know exciting to me. Even the Holy Roman Emperor who introduced Christianity <laughs> to the Empire is an interesting Scouse accent. Um, yes, he had a Scouse accent. He did, yeah, which was weird because you know in Latin. But uh, but yeah, I, I I like nobody saw this coming. Nobody expected this. It's no, been, what, they seventeen really didn't. years. It's seventeen mad. years. It's fucking mad, but brilliant. There's brilliant. Been, there's been now and again like little rumors, and he's I think he said in interviews like it would be something he'd like to do. But yeah, I I love that film so much, and it's quite scary as well. It's like a it's, yeah. it's a properly mm. scary film, but it also has kick-ass sequences, and he's so good in it. It's it's not a terrible um gateway horror. It's not well. It's yeah. I I, I think guess. it's a fifteen. 
Is yeah. it? I think it's an 18. It feels it? to me, yeah. it doesn't feel horror-y massively to me. Oh, it's got quite a bit of chump scares, but mm. also it's got this very, this lovely thing. atmosphere Ooh. of dread that runs all the way through that. it. You know, you might as well just bung on Hellraiser as well while you're, while you're talking about it. Which will, which will be a See. nice segue to mm. one of the something we're going to talk about in two seconds. But, uh, but Constantine uh, was the first time I ever interviewed Keanu Reeves. Uh, and um, he came into the hotel room, he sat down, and I went, uh, oh, Keanu, I really love the film. And then he went in mock gratitude, oh, thank God. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Okay, that's a bad start. <laughs> but, you know, he, right. he was delightful when we interviewed yes. him. Yeah. We, that, uh, that was one of my favorite interviews because mm. he jumped up and started acting out a theoretical John Wick 3, which was mad. Maybe he could act out a theoretical Constantine too. Maybe but yes, there is, a, there is a, a little bit of, a, of grit in the oyster here in that it is going to be written by Akiva Goldsman. Uh, but he was a producer on the first movie and then hopefully he'll just do the first draft and then <laughs> a better writer will take over. <laughs> that's, that's my hope on that one. Because I know he's got an Oscar and everything, and I, I and I feel bad about this because I interviewed him on the film he directed, and he was a really really nice guy. And but yeah, come on, Hellraiser, Hellraiser, Hellraiser. Yeah. Have you seen the trailer for the new Hellraiser? I actually we, haven't. We, we were talking about yeah, this we on were. the podcast a couple of weeks mm. ago. The new trailer for David Bruckner's Hellraiser, which is coming to Hulu on October seventh. But I don't know yet whether it's getting a UK release. I have asked. I have tendrils. I have feelers <laughs> out seeing whether it's going to get a UK release. But here we have the new the new Hellraiser, the remake of Clive Barker's Hellraiser. And it looks really freaky and gory and fucked up. I don't like Hellraiser. Not that it's a bad film. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's bad. It's just it's so icky. And I don't like body horror. And it's just it's just it's just it's it's ick. The whole film is ick. The whole franchise is just ick. And I feel like <laughs> this might also be ick. It might be ick, and the trailer does seem that it might be a little bit more jigsaw-y than I would have mm. thought that they've gone for the idea of, you know, oh, Goran Fisnich from ER seems to be some guy who knows what the, the lament configuration is as the puzzle box that is used to summon the Cenobites and, and Pinhead. And it's usually, not always, but it's usually done knowingly by someone who is a, a, a traveller, a tourist in the dimension of pleasure and pain. Um, a Tory MP <laughs> is, I think, what we call him here. And, and, uh, and, uh, but in this one, he seems to be, he seems to know that that's what's going to happen. So he's actually pushing someone else to unknowingly complete the box and so they will be the one to get tortured. Then he gets off on that, oh. I think, and maybe, but it seems to be the pinhead, who, of course, is a, uh, a female pinhead this time around, is perhaps aware of this and shenanigans will happen. So, yeah. But it looks really, really cool. And David Bruckner is a really, really interesting and good director of horror films like The Night House and The Relic. So uh, I'm more, I'm much more confident and hopeful about this. And yeah, it looks really, really great. Yeah, I didn't see the trailer for I did see the trailer for the new M. Night Shyamalan. Have you? Oh, my God. Yes. That? Yeah. And in fact, I downloaded the book upon which it's based. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm currently 20 pages into it. Helen would be finished it by now, but I mean, uh, it was a busy morning. Knock at the cabin. It turns out Dave Bautista is, in fact, the one who knocks. Uh, <laughs> he is the danger. Indeed. It's Jonathan Groff. Along and with husband. Rupert Grint. That's right, along with <laughs> which I didn't see coming. But yeah, it's it's creepy in a in an off-kilter way. Do you know what I mean? So it's not like they're being terrorised in the cabin, as is evidence in the trailer. Dave Bautista and his band of merry men and women come in to, quote-unquote, avert the apocalypse. Yeah, so it's Jonathan Groff and Ben Aldridge as two guys who bring their daughter 
who is uh, in the book anyway, um, called Wen. Yep. And uh, she is a young Chinese girl that they have adopted. And they bring her to this cabin just for a holiday. And then, yeah, all she does, the book is called The Cabin at the End of the World. And it is based on a book, like I say, that I've just downloaded by Paul Tremblay. And so far, very, very good indeed. And yeah, fingers crossed, because Knight, since his resurgence, his split resurgence, has kind of bobbed around a bit quality-wise, yeah. I would say. Um, I didn't particularly like old very much. I really didn't like glass, but I'm always glass. hopeful. Who gives a shit about glass? As it turned out, no one. No one really, sadly, <laughs> but... Um, Hopefully this won't be good. Yeah, great I mean, cast. also fair play to Rupert Grint. Who, I love Rupert Grint's career arc. Like he's got, he goes, and I imagine it comes from sitting on all those Potter millions. But he and Daniel Radcliffe both both have this zero fucks given approach to the projects that they take, where they're not looking to further anything. They're not looking to make a name for themselves because they already have everything they need. They just do stuff that interests them. Yeah, and Grint has shown a real passion and skill for off kilter horror stuff like servant in particular on apple tv uh which is so fucking weird and upsetting but also genius and he's he's possibly the best thing in it he's very 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 good and that must have introduced him tonight who then thought yeah. okay I'll, it was I'll, like yeah I'll grint is great this. let's move yeah. on this yeah uh so yeah it looks like a home invasion horror but with a real twist so very excited. Do you see this one, Helen? Or no, I haven't yet. It's but really I'm very good. I've literally just been downloading the book as we talked. So oh, there you go. So you, yeah. you'll have and, read and it by the time I'll, I'll have read it by the end of the podcast. Yeah. Obviously, okay. yes. uh, what else is happening in the world of movie news? Uh, well, your beloved Paul Greengrass is back, back, back. Is he? I missed yes. this. And he's directing a film based on a book by your beloved Stephen King. So, was I asleep? Yeah, this is uh, Paul Greengrass adapting Fairy Tale. Oh, so, um, the brand new Stephen King. The brand new Stephen King, it just hit shelves and it's an epic tale that follows, and I haven't read this one yet either, but I'm no, about to download this as well. Um, it follows a 17-year-old boy who inherits the keys to a terrifying world where good and evil are at war. Now, Lock and Key by Joe Hill has only just wrapped up, but this is a different thing. So this is an entire world where good and evil are fighting. The stakes apparently couldn't be higher for that world or ours as he goes into the mythic roots of human storytelling. Blimey. This sounds quite cool. It sounds a little bit like um, Magic Kingdom for sale sold, but, you know, better. So um, I'm, I'm excited about this. And, you know, Paul Greengrass doing Stephen King. Well, this is the interesting thing, because, because Greengrass is, um, has always said this, hasn't he? Like, he's been attached over the years since the Born Supremacy made him a, a, a real, um, gave him commercial cachet. Hmm. Right, and made him a real commercial prospect for studios. He's been attached to a number of films like this that have a fantastical or sci-fi element, and he's never quite got them off the ground. I guess most famously Watchmen, Watchmen yeah. you know, which I actually visited the the pre-production of. You know, I got to tour the sets that they were building and see all the the costume departments and and sit with him and and David Hayter and Lloyd Levin and yeah. and that was an amazing day, by the way. Wow, but. That didn't happen, obviously. Then he was attached to things like Fantastic Voyage. He's been attached to a remake of that. And there's there's all kinds of things like this that have been on the to-do list and then never quite got to done. Mm. And fingers crossed that this one, you know, will will work for him because he seems to have of of late embraced even more the the real world serious drama stuff and i think there is you know it'd be interesting to see what he what he what he's like if he i mean i'm sure there's some sort of 
thematic material that he's attached to that he's attracted to here in the in the material. I haven't read Fairy Tale yet, even though I'm a huge Stephen King fan. I tend to save save the new Stephen Kings for Christmas mm. as my big Christmas treat. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Paul Greengrass. That's hope it gets off the ground. Me too. Anything else in movie news? Yeah, a few things. Um, Sony is making a new Karate Kid movie. Mm. Not connected <gasps> to Cobra Kai. Not connected to Cobra Kai. It's a new movie. But it would kind of be a switch on the dynamic because it would be a kid from Beijing who's just moved to Brooklyn teaching a grown man, one of his classmates' fathers, how to do martial arts. What? According to this, it's a young man from Beijing moving to Brooklyn and ending up schooling a classmate's father in martial arts and finding his own path. Right, okay. So how does this tie into the original Karate Kid? Because they said that this is going to come out 40 years after the first Karate Kid and it's going to be, you know, somehow tied to the original Karate Kid. But we have the original Karate Kid in Cobra Kai. So is this, is Daniel LaRusso in this? The Cobra Kai team are certainly not involved. And I don't think any of the cast are. You would think that it's not going to, you know, in the same Mm. way that the the Jaden Smith one wasn't tied to the original, I think this will be separate again. In other things that mm-hmm. we care not a jot about, uh, Orlando Bloom has joined Gran Turismo. And I don't say this in any way to throw shade at Orlando Bloom, but more to throw shade at the whole project of Gran Turismo, which is Neil Blomkamp's film, which I'm really finding it hard to care about. But David Harbour and Orlando Bloom, Sure, though. it's got good people in it. And actually, it might end up being a good film. But I just, I, have, I don't understand what you gain from taking a game IP like that and then doing something that has no connection to because the game has no plot it's not it's basically a driving simulator grand yeah. turismo so it's like and admittedly that isn't the plot something like someone who is really good at the game and then becomes a professional driver or something I believe like so, yeah. yes. but it, it, it just feels a bit i maybe i'm still scarred from need for speed which i hated so much which but, one was that i can't i saw it i can't remember i must admit about it. i remember so let's go aaron paul in it they're racing cars yeah, around they were yeah that it's a race a of some kind it's it. really awful yeah 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 it's not good it's One star, I think uh, most people gave it. I, I just... Right, the, the reason it's happening and the reason it's called Gran Turismo is obviously name recognition. Yes. That is the only thing that matters to anybody anymore when it comes to greenlighting anything. There is not a lack of originality in Hollywood filmmakers or Hollywood ideas people or writers or actors or anybody else except the people who are holding the purse strings <laughs> who have no originality whatsoever and in fact insist on unoriginality as a precondition of getting a green light. So all we can hope for in a lot of these films is that they what what they do with the time that is given to them, basically, yeah. and, and that they can come up with something genuinely original and fresh. And it has happened on, on occasion. It has happened. But, you know, hopefully this will be one of those times. Yeah. Speaking of things that are franchises for some reason, oh. Wicked is going for a two-part film adaptation of the stage what? musical. We know that Ariana Grande and Cynthia Erivo are starring, but Fierro has now been cast with Jonathan Bailey from Bridgerton, who is, it would seem to me to fit the bill pretty well, because basically Fierro has to be super cute and really good looking. And that would seem to fit with the whole Jonathan Bailey thing. Um, I haven't heard him sing, but I'm ass- assuming he can sing. Uh, so they're currently due to arrive in cinemas for Christmas 2024 and 2025. How like, exciting. part wicked, though. How I mean, exciting. you finish film one, I guess, with Defying Gravity, which will be pretty epic. 
I don't know Wicked well enough. I just know that song. Defying Gravity is a huge song. Is that the one that goes, To wonder why we hold on with tears in our eyes? Yes, that's it exactly. And then the, the second act of the musical uh, finishes with For Good, which I literally have never listened to without choking up a little bit because it's a very emotional song. Um, so I guess, you know, you get the big euphoric end for film number one, maybe, and uh, a sort of really moving end for film number two, potentially. We shall there, see. There you go. It's exciting, isn't it? Last thing is Fantastic Four has found its yes. director, as we know. It is Matt Shackman. Uh, second thing is they found some writers. The Fantastic Two of Jeff Kaplan and Ian Springer who are being brought on to work with Shackman. Together they're going to align their visions, apparently it says here, but that should be easy for him because he aligned his vision <laughs> across nine episodes of WandaVision. So yeah, these are the two guys that they have entrusted Fantastic Four with. Yeah, they've apparently been working with Marvel for some time already um, mm-hmm. on the concept for the movie and how it's going to fit into the wider story. So um, so yeah, let's hope this is um, this is all going to come together. They, they are relative newcomers. They have a couple of things that have been produced, I believe, and they've got Disaster Wedding in development. So, fingers crossed that this is... Is that where Doctor Doom shows up? (laughs) One can only hope so. Yeah. So, yeah. Intriguing and exciting, but we will keep an eye on it. It feels like they're ramping up to casting soon, doesn't it? It feels like we're going to have... I think they're trying very hard, but they want to have... I mean, they want to nail that, I guess. So they've got a... I believe they're casting quite a wide net from what I hear. Yeah. Be tricky to because they can't see anyone for the invisible one because you see them. Shall we have a second guest? Let's do it. Time now for our second and final guests this week. And that's right, I said guests because Jurassic World Dominion has had a bit of a makeover and has been re-released on digital as Jurassic World Dominion Extended Edition with about 14 additional minutes of footage restored to the film by director Colin Trevorrow and Ben Travis, our resident Jurassicophile, recently went to Malta of all places. There's a big action sequence that takes place, a big whole chunk of the movie takes place in Malta and Ben Travis went to Malta to speak to two of the film's stars, Bryce Dallas Howard, who was on the podcast just a few months ago when the movie came out in cinemas and, of course, as you've heard, the Wonderwise. That's right, it's the Wonderwise who also stars in the film as Kayla Watts, the very resourceful pilot who teams up with Bryce Dallas Howard's Claire Deering and Hunk McStubble and all your favourite characters to kick the hell, living hell out of dinosaurs. I think that's pretty much what happens in that movie. Uh, ben, as if by magic, even though he's not on the rest of this podcast, is here. Ben. <gasps> Yes, I've come not from the fronts, but from the sides. Clever, Ben. Uh, yeah, I had an amazing time in Malta. What a lovely place. Um, Never been. It was it was really cool. We were staying around the corner from the big square where the kind of Carnotaurus attack happens in the motorbike chase sequence. And um, got to speak to uh, Bryce and DeWanda in the most ridiculous location. Normally we do junket interviews in hotel rooms or in studios or even just from home sometimes on a zoom this was like we were on the coast 
of Malta looking over the most incredible vista. Uh, so you'll hear at the start of the interview, uh, Bryce and Dewanda taking it upon themselves to describe our location, where we are at the start of the interview. So hopefully uh, you'll get a bit of a sense. You'll feel like you're in Malta too when you listen to that. Um, Amazing. What else did you get up to? What did you do in Malta? Tons of every stuff. couple of days, weren't you? I did a Jurassic stunt experience. I channeled my own inner Claire uh, to take on her role in the like raptor attack sequence through Malta when it goes into the uh, the houses and she gets attacked by the Atrociraptors and then Deacon Luckman's character is there with a taser. So I was like getting to do stunts for the first time, which was very fun. I've never done that before. Uh, running around on rooftops in like 35 degree heat <laughs> in Malta. Wow. It was nuts. That video is up on uh, my Twitter. I'll give it a little recirculation around this pod going out and uh, a little shout out as well one of the directors when we were doing that stunt experience a guy called mark buchanan came up and he loves the podcast he listens to the empire podcast and he was a joy to work with he helped coach me through like jumping off bits of roofs and running through like clothes lines without clothes lining myself mm-hmm. uh, and yeah he was lovely to meet so hello mark i'm sure you're listening to this and uh, that's amazing. Yeah, it was a blast. So you also spoke to Colin Trevorrow and without giving too much away, uh, that interview is a big interview with Colin Trevorrow in which he reflects on his time uh, at the at the helm of Lee's Three Movies. He didn't direct Fallen Kingdom, obviously, but he was very, very heavily involved in it. And this appears to be it for him. And so it's a quite reflective interview as he looks back on his essentially almost 10 years of involvement with Jurassic. Uh, and that's going to be in the next issue of Empire. But you also, as we say, spoke to Bryce Dallas Howard and Wanda Wise. Uh, what did you speak to them about? Set it up for the folks at home. All sorts. I'm trying to think. I haven't listened back to this interview since we did it. It was a, it was a, like over a month ago now. But they were tons of fun. Like they are both so high energy, and them together, it, like all of us, they were sitting outside all day in like 30 plus degree heat. And you wouldn't blame them for having melted into a puddle by that point. But they were so together and so funny and sparking off each other, talking about some of the stuff that's in this extended edition because they both get some really nice kind of additional scenes in the footage that's been reinstated so we talked a bit about that um a bit about where they go next and about uh basically them getting a free holiday in malta because they uh even though the film the production shot in malta uh they recreated a lot of the interiors in Pinewood so they shot all of their Malta stuff in Pinewood and now they actually got to go to Malta for real for this junket that's amazing so uh, that's a good chunk of the interview as well fantastic did you talk to DeWanda Wise did you did you tell her that her name scans perfectly to I Wonder Why by Curtis Steigers I didn't and I regret that I can only apologise maybe we can arrange a redo you know maybe we can maybe we should get Curtis Steigers in here he can do a live version why doesn't he interview them? I imagine this is the, we're near the Jazz FM. We're not in the Jazz FM studio today, but I imagine he is drawn to there like a moth to a flame. Like he's just always knocking on the window of Jazz FM, going "Let me in!" And he's he's a, you know, I've listened to a lot of Curtis Tigers on Jazz FM. He's very good, evidently, and he's very. But you you know I wonder why, don't you? You I'm must a, know I wonder why. Come on, Ben. I know you're a millennial. I, I'm sure if I, I I'm not saying and your version. I wonder why we hold on with tears in our eyes. You know that one. You know that one. And I wonder why you have to break down and just make them die. 
I feel like I know it, but I, maybe that's just because you're staring me in the eyes as you sing that, as you belt that out, which is quite disconcerting. I'm, once I leave the studio, I'll listen to it and I'll see how much it adheres to whatever was just happening <laughs> into that microphone there. You're an absolute disgrace. Please leave. Here is Bryce Dallas Howard's and the Wonder Wise. The Wonder Wise, we hold on. Wait, sorry. <clears throat> and the Wonder Wise. Do please enjoy. Hey everyone, it's Chris here. Just jumping in real quick to let you know that the interview you're about to hear had some technical issues on it. Namely, there is a loud hiss that starts about halfway through this interview with Bryce Dallas Howard and Wanda Wise and just gets louder and louder and louder and louder until it sounds like a Dilophosaurus convention is taking place right next door. Uh, We have tried everything in our very limited technical know-how to get rid of this hiss, uh, but it simply makes everyone else sound like they're underwater. So I've decided to leave it in for the time being, but I wanted to let you know that there is a hiss. Uh, Hopefully it's not going to be too off-putting for everybody, but if it is, and if you're out there, and if you are an editor of some renown and some repute, and you can figure out a way for us to remove the hiss, while leaving everyone's audio and speech intact, then do let me know. Thank you very much. Slide into my DMs. Uh, if not, here is the interview with DeWanda Wise and Bryce Dallas Howard. Do please enjoy. It is uh, a delight to be joined on the Empire podcast by two of the stars of Jurassic World Dominion, DeWanda Wise and Bryce Dallas Howard. How are you guys doing? Yay! We're hot. We're in Malta. We're in Malta. We are outdoors right now. Yes. We have the most incredible view happening. Paint the scene, Director <laughs> Price. Yeah. So, yeah. If you were gonna, Paint if, the scene. if you were putting this in a scripture, or you were she uh, is setting script, the scene. How would you describe where we are right now in a cinematic sense? Oh my goodness! L- let's do it together. Okay. I mean, we're surrounded by limestone. We're and surrounded history. by limestone. This is one of the most cohesive cities mm-hmm. that I've ever had the pleasure to witness. It is aesthetically astonishingly beautiful. And we are looking across a beautiful majestic body of water onto an equally beautiful and majestic skyline. Crystal Um, blue sky, crystal blue water. Flawless. It it's is beautiful. It's an gorgeous. incredible scene. It's better than our usual grey depressing pod booth or a hotel room in London or let alone a Zoom call. It's pretty it does amazing. not get better than this. <laughs> and the last time you guys were in Malta, you were actually in Pinewood. You were in London. So, <laughs> well done. Exactly. Uh, what's it like to actually be here? And do you have that weird sense of familiarity of somewhere you've yes. kind of been but not been? Yes. No, but this is so crazy because our production designer, Kevin Jenkins, created like like we were supposed to come to malta that mm-hmm. was the plan and we were super stoked yeah. to come to malta and then we happened to be the first movie back during the pandemic and so they needed to pivot yeah and cancel my vacation plans so. yeah super <laughs> sad uh and so and so our um our superhuman doubles came to malta with a crew and they just shot the heck out of they this, really did you know entire city mm-hmm. and it was so cool and then we would film our sections at pinewood mm-hmm. and being here now i'm like were we like i have memories of me being in malta yeah it's very <laughs> it's how accurate w. it was yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and and how beautiful the sets were and what kevin was able to do yeah that um, attention to detail is really wild you know to to be there even the i mean down to the coloring of this limestone and the the 
the pox in the wall and all of it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's remarkable. It's, so it's living up to the Pinewood version. Well done, Kevin. Uh, yeah. And you guys must have had the call of like, guys, we're doing some more uh, Jurassic promo. We've got the extended version coming out. We've got Home Ents release. And you're like, okay. And then they say we're in Malta. How quickly do you say yes? I'm in. We say, yes, can we stay an extra few days? Is this why we're here an extra few days? Did you do this for us? Did you do this for the family? I mean, I, yeah. You did, right? Yeah. I knew it. Yeah. Bryce has been saving me for two years. No, no. Oh, no, no. I didn't. No, no, no. Universal offered. They like, did, I right? I made this choice for me. Okay. Like, I, Universal offered it. Okay. Universal I didn't say, it. can you give us a vacation? Okay, okay. No, no, they offered <laughs> No, Universal legit was like, hey, you know, we're going to Malta. Would you also like to? I was like, yes. Okay, but this is a tradition you don't know about and you are going to know about because you do more Jurassic movies. Uh-huh. But mm-hmm. when you have the home entertainment release, uh-huh. and this is this is unique to Universal, um, they like take you on a vacation. I you would know, go to Hawaii. What other movies would you like me <laughs> to do? They, they, we had a whole thing in Hawaii that was so cool. I stayed for a week. It was pure magic. Everyone had transformative experiences. Nice. It was spiritual. It was amazing. That's it was a whole entertainment release from Universal. Noted. So yeah. So we're in Malta. Yeah. Releasing. Yeah. The the Blu-ray digital copy of this movie, yeah. and it is so exciting because it's the extended edition. Yes. And what the extended edition is is just the movie the as movie. intended. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the film we shot. It's the film we shot. So yeah. it's so it's we're all about what Universal is doing right now. Yeah. Thank you, Universal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is some great stuff in the extended cut and something I have as soon as I knew I was talking to you guys I was like I f- can finally talk to you about Leonard so <gasps> now I have to set this up for the listeners because we had our world exclusive covers for Jurassic World Dominion yes. with you guys on the covers in that incredible photo shoot yes and a wonder in particular, <laughs> you were talking all about Leonard. I tried to the, tell you. <laughs> I'm Lystrosaurus. really glad. I'm really, really happy. He's like a little weird little yes! dinosaur in the Malta sequence in the marketplace. <laughs> and this cut, I can say, does contain more Leonard. It it's does the, it's Leonard the Leonard justice. cut. It's the yes. Leonard cut. I love that you're calling it the Leonard cut. It's hilarious. <laughs> because we wrote about some of this stuff online. Yes. And I, in that story, just jokingly used the hashtag Team Leonard. Yeah. And then Team Leonard became a thing. It did. It took off. In the Jurassic fandom. How are Absolutely. you feeling about people seeing more Leonard? Oh, oh my gosh. I'm elated. <laughs> people are going to flip. People are going to flip. I mean, I just truly, um, one, I, you know, as Bryce just very eloquently stated, this is the movie that we shot, this movie we signed up for, you know, and a lot of uh, care went into the construction of Leonard in particular and his expression and his unassuming laissez-faire, vibe. unbothered <laughs> vibe. You know, Leonard is Kayla and Kayla is Leonard. So I'm very thankful that, you know, now audiences will have an opportunity to, to meet Leonard in his full glory. Will you tell what the backstory is? For Leonard and, I will. and Kayla and like what, what their dynamic is. Yes, now that I know it will make it into print. In the my long con. In my <laughs> mind, yep. Leonard is Kayla's like a spoon coon. So when you're seeing her sell him mm-hmm. uh in the market, really the hustle is she always gets Leonard back. <laughs> so she sells him to people and is like, I'm she gonna see you again. Gets him back. He's gonna chump some guy and yeah. I'm gonna see He's Leonard gonna again. Chomp yeah. The person who just bought him is mm-hmm. gonna chomp their arm off or something, <laughs> or foot or something, yeah. and then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna like lowball them and then they're gonna give it back. And then he's gonna give yeah, <laughs> they're gonna give it back. Like she has made a lot of money off of Leonard. <laughs> And he's in on it. Yeah. Leonard's in on the con and he's cool with it. Yeah. It's a grift. Yeah. It's a grift. 
Uh, and I think we love him even more because he's so small. I realize this is now just turning into a Leonard interview, but he's kind of like the Dilophosaurus from the original film where you go, look at this cute little guy. He's kind of unassuming. Unassuming, cute dinosaur, just making cute little clicky noises. And then Leonard brings the violence. He does. Yes. My, my son, I watched, um, my son is here with me right now. He's 15. And, uh, we watched the extended edition together and he's going nuts for this dinosaur. Like he, he can't get enough of Leonard and was asking, was like, I need to know like what kind of dinosaur (laughs) is Leonard? Because I need pictures of this kind of dinosaur in my bedroom. I love the picture of him. Also with the, with the, he had the The mask. mask, The COVID mask. Yeah. Oh, Leonard yeah. was very safe on set. Yeah, Such a team very player. Yeah. Very COVID. Very COVID. <laughs> so, so when you watched the extended cut, what other moments jumped out at you? Because there was one scene that both of you guys were in. It was a new little moment in this cut uh, that's after the multi chase when you get onto the plane. Yes. Um, that there's another like lovely little beat between Owen and Claire yeah. uh, in the back of the plane. So you guys. Were and that was just of... improvised. Mm-hmm. Was that it? Was, yeah, that was something that was improvised, and um, it's really cool because. Sometimes you see characters do extraordinary kind of like, oops, sorry. Something something <laughs> dropped for everyone listening at home. Yeah. A bottle of water dropped. Bottle of water. It's, it's we gotta hydrate. Fine. It's gonna be fine. So what's really cool is when you have characters or you're playing a character that is is um like very heroic or, or strong or capable or kind of superhuman, you wanna see them be human after that. You yes. wanna see the you know, kind of like the come down mm-hmm. and, and and them processing what they just experienced. Uh, Laura Dern would talk about this quite a lot where where she was like, what what the legacy characters experienced during Jurassic Park was trauma. Mm-hmm. It was trauma. And that was something that Steven Spielberg uh, emphasized. And in particular, that incredible moment with Laura where she collapses behind that gate yes. in the first movie that was that was a moment that was very important to steven to show how taxing yeah, <laughs> and stressful cost. and it, the cost, cost the stakes to show yeah. the stakes and and so there's there's a number of moments that um that do that and and infuses so much humanity into the into the film yeah uh, and Dawanda, do you have a favorite moment of, that's in this extended cut a little mm-hmm. bit that when you saw the theatrical version, you were like, ah, I didn't make it in and now it's back. Well, I mean, we've been talking, yeah, other than Leonard, but we've been speaking a lot just about how the movie, how it's set up, how it opens, mm. you yes. know, um, and that sense of like cohesion and the through line. Um, so I think between that and also adding in, adding back in, you know, it was it was absolutely part of my own personal mandate to make sure that Kayla was a, a whole human. And, you know, sometimes when people are like, oh my goodness, she's so fearless. I was like, I push back a little bit because I'm like, no, she's not fearless. She just masks it, you know, in a very specific and particular way, you know? Um, but I, I just appreciate the inclusion of, of all those, those beats. Yep. Yeah. And that opening prologue, which is back in the film, the 65 million years ago prologue is, uh, yeah, a great thing. What's really cool about the prologue, I mean, lots of things are really cool. The visual effects are insane. Um, But for me, what was so cool is this movie, the stars of the Jurassic films are the dinosaurs. Mm. And so to start the story with real dinosaurs who existed 65 million years ago and to see that that I mean, I don't I don't want to like give spoilers, but mm-hmm. it's also out there sort of. And mm-hmm. if you buy it, great. Um, 
but it's it's to see that that this uh, that that this movie is a revenge tale that's mm-hmm. sixty five million years in the making, and you really feel that payoff in the third act. Yeah, it's it's deftly executed mm-hmm. storytelling. It mm-hmm. is really 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 beautiful, and it's also powerful. I think to see the dinosaurs living on the planet Mm -hmm. and then they go extinct. And then now there's the humans living on the planet. And how's this going to go? And that's, that's the cautionary tale that Michael Crichton set out telling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It goes right back to the Crichton and the the dinosaur stuff in the film is great, but on a character level, I want to talk about Kayla because did you have a moment to wonder where you were like, I've got to come in and steal this movie. Like, (laughs) Because Kayla is such a great character and she pops so She didn't mean to. I didn't. There was no other possibility. (laughs) You know, I mean, what what I will say and what cracks me up now, like even thinking about it is, one, there's a lot of, obviously, clearly it's on screen, but there's a ton of support. And, you know, Colin is not a quiet director. He's very effusive. He Mm. would come back, you know, to the hotel we were staying at and I would feel embarrassed. I did not have effusive parents. So he would just come in, you know, John and Margie are lovely, but they're not like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> My mom is now, actually. I should take that back. I should take that back. Uh, but Colin would come back and be like, look at what DeWanda did today. And it was so embarrassing. Like, I just remember, I just remember being like, be quiet. Because <laughs> I was also like, I don't know if you're gassing me up or... <laughs> No, it was for real. So it I was think, for real. Yeah, listen, so I think in one way I was just like, I better live up to the promise of what he is telling people in this hotel right now, you know. Um, but no, I think I I really do believe that she was constructed that way, mm. that Colin and Emily, you know, took a great deal of care and thought and what it meant to introduce a, a character to a franchise, the sixth film in. Yeah. Um, and that I was just honored to, you know, come in and, and care as much, you know, if not more, <laughs> if not, you know, if not more. Yeah. And, and Bryce, you've been that, that person coming into a franchise. Yeah. So like, were you kind of looking out for to wonder in terms of like, you know how that feels and the, the weight of that? Well, I, you know, what's weird is I've, I've come into, uh, the third film of a franchise Several times. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, which is super weird. Like I did, um, I did a Terminator movie. Mm-hmm. I did a Twilight, Twilight movie. Amazing Spider Man. I did a Spider Man. Oh no, Spider Man three, the Raimi. Yeah, Spider Man three, yes. the Raimi one. Yeah. And so, and and I kept thinking again and again and again when I would have these experiences. I kept being like, oh, but I want to get in at the beginning. <laughs> like I want to, <laughs> I want to be there at the beginning. You know, and kind of hope that it goes well and then maybe it does go well and you get to be on that ride and and really all throughout this Jurassic World experience I'm like oh my gosh this is like full manifestation yeah. <laughs> like this is incredible yeah and what I would say is is I always I felt very lucky all the movies that that I got to be a part of and franchises that I got to be a part of because everyone was super warm and you know very inclusive and welcoming and all of that and and that made a difference for me every single time because you show up and you're a little like, oh, I don't want to step on anyone's toes, but mm-hmm. also I'm a fan. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of weird and all of that. And so, you know, it's 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 certainly for me, it wasn't conscious at all, but but it's. I can speak to it more because, you know, you're like in your skin and it's always an odd question to be like, did you do a good job? Like, <laughs> 
you know, I, I just remember you said something that I've taken with me that I, I feel like I was like experiencing it, you know, as an actor for TV, um, like leading a show. But mm-hmm. Bryce said, when you are um, a lead, when you're like number one, number two on the call sheet, you were the head of the acting department. Mm. And she acted like she was the head of the acting department, mm-hmm. like a true leader, a true caretaker, a true like doing that that's like it's it's partially you know acting work and partially producing work honestly to look out for the welfare um of your fellow cast members and she just you know i learned a lot and um i really appreciated the care um that that she gave you know not just to me but to that entire cast yeah Yeah, i know the acting department i love pulling that one it's a reminder because folks forget yes Mm. they think you know, there's all these different departments and then there are the heads of the departments. And when a department is being asked to do something that compromises their work, mm-hmm. the head of the department calls it out mm-hmm. and is like, just be clear, there's going to be a major compromise here. And that and is going to cost something. Yes. This is what you're asking for. And this is what you're going to lose because of it. Yes. We good? Mm-hmm. Like, is there another option here? And it's it's when you think of it like a department, mm-hmm. our, our team, our, like because actors are very used to that. We're always used to you know, teaming up with people and putting on a show together. Yeah, we're team players. Yes, exactly. And that adrenaline kicks in. Yes. So if someone's not really looking out for, I mean, we just, we listen. (laughs) We're just like diving in head first, you know, we're super game. Mm -hmm. Uh, So having that double mind of someone who's like, okay, hi. Yeah, Yeah, it's really important. And in terms of that dynamic of all you guys, we also watch through all the bonus features and seeing all you guys in, I don't know, let's call it the Hotel Jurassic, all locked down together, what is the wildest story about the Hotel Jurassic that you can tell me? Well, that's actually, we're a pretty innocent group of people. Yeah. Like, we're pretty squeaky clean, so we there wasn't drama. I mean, it was also, we also, to be fair, nobody could misbehave, but also much because everything was just shut down. Like, that was it. <laughs> like, we were the party. That yeah. was the party. We were the yeah. party. Yeah. Jeff flew in a whole piano. That's why you're getting what? that behind the scenes. Wait, I didn't know that, that wasn't you- there. What? Jeff came with a piano. I still have not asked Laura if she came with like, uh, I feel like she came with surfboards. I feel like I did not make this up. I feel like I watched Laura Dern roll up and she had surfboards. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Sam Neill has a vineyard, y'all. He brought two paddocks. He brought the wine. There were cases. I went home with like 13 bottles of two paddocks. I'm not exaggerating. 13, I had to ship back. 13 bottles. So they brought the party. He didn't bring any of the pigs, right? No, I wish you brought the pigs. No. No. There was space. Yeah, there was space space for sure. And there were the cows out there and all of that. No, it was it was kind of crazy fun. Yeah. Because also if you think about it, psychologically, where we all were, we all needed to leave our families and all of that, but we'd also all been like the rest of the world isolating at home. No access to anyone else Mm -hmm. doing your laundry no Mm -hmm. access to anyone else making your food like you know what i mean and and so no access to talking with some of the most charismatic human beings alive (laughs) and so when we arrived at this hotel it's like this luxury hotel and there was a spa downstairs and we got we would order french fries all the time literally it was it it was just so gluttonous (laughs) it was just so yeah. Luxurious and yeah. wonderful. Those and chips, healing. y'all. I don't the know chips. what's up with those UK chips. chips. No, but you guys figured out what was up with the chips. Yeah. Alano figured it we out. Figured we got it to out. the bottom. We had the Wait, when you say packed. chips, you mean crisps, right? In the UK. No. Oh, you no, actual... she's doing the right thing. You did it. You did it right. Yeah. You got it right. Yeah. Yeah. French fries. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
So our time's very nearly up, but I just want to ask you a little bit about what you guys have got coming up, because wonder you're working on Chris Pine's directorial debut I right have. now. Yeah, Pullman. we wrapped already. And it was awesome. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. And she's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> and Piney did a great job. He did a great job. Uh, also shot on film. Now that's going to be in all my writers. Oh, I, I just that. I demand for everything to shoot on film. Um, yeah, I just I love to genre hop. You know, I was like, I absolutely hope to work in the action space some more, but you know, I love comedy and Chris are you Pine producing as well? I do produce as well. Yeah. Amazing. You know, so a couple of those things um, definitely in the works and getting closer and closer. Um, yeah. And, and Bryce, you won't be able to say anything about it, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure you're back for Mando season three. Your Book of Boba Fett episode with Mando. I mean, Aww. if we had 20 more minutes, <laughs> we could feel it like so that. Uh, but uh, yeah, what did that episode mean to you? And Dewanda. Um, you now have a direct in with Baby Yoda. Have you like pulled that card yet? You're one How have I not? separation away from Baby Yoda. How have I? You just made me question my whole entire Listen, life. I will just come out right now and say I do not have the authority to do anything with Baby That's Yoda for anyone. So I shouldn't text you like, hey, remember yesterday when we were talking about Baby Yoda? I'd be like, listen, I would love to hook you up, Dwanda. I would love to. But I seriously, when my dad went on solo i was like hey can i come visit and he and he was like no you're not going to be allowed dang like he said you're not going to be allowed and so then i called every single human being that i knew and got permission and then i entered on the set i I shattered him (laughs) on the set but i was just like it was a lock yeah yeah totally totally but it's no getting to getting to work in star wars and in particular under the mentorship of john favreau and dave filoni is real great and there are and i'm also so excited because um weirdly i I went to college i went to nyu and was very good friends with leslie headland and john watts (laughs) so i'm like the whole crew the 1981 (laughs) nyu crew this is incredible like it's 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 absolutely wonderful and i also got to shoot a movie called argyle that matthew vaughn directed um in the uk last year and it's totally bananas. I, I mean, Henry it. Cavill's hair is bananas. <laughs> How did you see that? There is there is a picture of the hair. Hey. Is it out there? I think just like a pap shot. That's the only thing anyone has seen of that movie. That's just wild. the hair. <gasps> the flat top. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yes, he's gorgeous. He's gorgeous in the movie. Well, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to wink wink see mando season three and to see uh pool man and to see pictures from this baby yoda themed birthday party that you're gonna throw over the wonder on the set with the entire legacy team absolutely behind the animatronics we have to arrange this i wish i had the power (laughs) (laughs) i'll make some phone calls yes yes. no do you want i i I honestly i do really want to do this um and i'll just say this because i've said this in the past and there's been total support but then the pandemic happened I, because of Baby Yoda and the way that the animatronic works, it's remote. Wow. And so we've got to go visit some kids in some hospitals because they can hold Baby Yoda in their arms. That's wild. And yeah. it was, and we had a plan for it. And then the pandemic hit. And I feel like this is, you know, we the can time. revisit this. So mm-hmm. I just, I literally just remembered that now. And it, that has to happen. So thank you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, guys. Enjoy Malta. Enjoy your working holiday. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah thank you, good. guys. Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, there you go. That was Bryce Dallas Howard and De Wonder Wows and Ben Travis, of course. And now it is time to talk about what's out 
In the cinemas these days, Jurassic World Dominion Extended Edition is available for you to watch at home if you would like to do that. That is an option that is available to you. You can do that right now. But in the multiplex and on the sofaplex, new releases this week. What have we got and who's going to talk about it? We have Don't Worry Darling, don't we, Helen? We do. and they've Don't been... worry, darling. <laughs> they... Never not funny. I think they've been very worried the last few weeks because the press for this movie has been horrific. But let's talk about the actual film. There is an actual film. There is film. an actual film at the heart of this. Uh, so yes, it is director Olivia Wilde uh, after the incredible and unsurpassable book smart who is back with her. Uh, it, I mean, perhaps... it, was, it was good. It was that's great. not that's not go overboard, no, shall we? I, I, you don't understand how important that film is to me. That film was just incredible to me. That was it was is like it somebody it has looking the word book inside. In the title? Yes, obviously, and smart. But it was like someone looking inside my head, and my soul, putting it on the big screen. I was just delighted with it. My point is, she's made another film. It's Don't Worry, Darling. Um, Don't worry, darling. You've got to stop doing that. <laughs> I wouldn't lick an Olivia Wilde if she was glazed in honey. That's not true. Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> by, by the way, anyway. <laughs> anyway, uh, we are in a planned town, a company town in the desert in the sort of 1950s. Life is um, seems to be pretty simple, pretty pretty clear. The guys go off every morning to their work. Uh, the women you know, clean the house and cook the dinner and all that kind of stuff. But they also sit by the pool and go to the country club and go shopping with their with their other the other wives and, and you know, have a lovely time is mm-hmm. the plan. Um and then the men come home in the evening and they all have cocktail parties and drinks and everything else. This sounds but great. Something is wrong. Something is Unright and it's uh, unright. unright. Yeah, that's, that's, that's book smart for you. There. That's me. <laughs> and Florence That's a book learning. <laughs> And Florence Pugh's Alice is determined to figure out what it is. So her friend Margaret, who's played by Kiki Lane, has already mm. had something, some kind of breakdown. It's not clear what's happening with her, but that's upsetting Alice. But she's also having her own little flashes of weirdness and, and oddness. And there's something not right, basically, in the heart of victory, this town. What could it be? If you've seen one of a number of films, you're going to be able to figure it out quite quickly. I haven't seen the film. I've got a fair idea. Yeah. Um, But I have to say, I mean, for a large part of this film, it's beautifully designed. It looks incredible. Costumes, production design, cinematography by um, Mathieu Libertique, incredible stuff. It's very well played. I mean, Florence Pugh is off the charts amazing in pretty much everything she does, and this is no exception. Um, Harry Styles is fine, contrary to what you've heard. He's meant to be doing a British accent, and that is more or less a British accent. So he's he's fine. Uh, it also has Chris Pine as the boss of his company. Um, I would lick a Chris Pine if he was glazed in honey. No, that's also probably That's also lie, not true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd lick them all, quite frankly. <laughs> so, honey um, or not. So yeah, so it's it's there's there's you know there's a lot of stuff going on and it's not entirely clear. It's clear something is up, but it's not clear for a long time what exactly is up. I think the problem for me in this film is that in its last third, as it should be coming together, as it should be, it does have a sense of build up. It does have a sense of tension. It does have a sense of peril, but it's not quite clear that the ideas of the film and the themes of the film hit as clearly or as hard as they should, frankly, for the kind of film that this is and, and the, the kind of work that it's trying to do. So I think that's where it, it really fell apart for me. I was having a lovely time for about three quarters of the running time and then it just sort of felt a bit, uh, a little bit at the end. It's not that it's a bad ending, it just doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't reach a new height. It doesn't 
it doesn't tie everything together and say something profound and powerful about the world. And I think it's trying to, and I think that is a bit of a failure. There, there are some interesting ideas here. It's just that they don't quite get explored in the way that you want them to um, at the end of the day. So so that for me was was the disappointment. This isn't as successful as Booksmart. It isn't as, as joined up, but it is you know, it is what we want to happen to first-time female filmmakers who make a good film. We want them to get this chance to have a bigger budget and do something more ambitious and do something at a bigger scale with bigger stars. Um, the question will now be, does she get a third film? Does she get another chance to do something, you know? but well, We don't um, know how it's done at the box office yet, and that's the... No, and that's 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 the big worry of all the publicity around it. But look, I mean, I, I still think it's worth seeing. I'm so glad I saw it. I just didn't feel like it had the power or the impact that I, I think it should have done, especially from someone like me, from the themes, from the ideas that she was trying to explore. Because so, it seems a lot easier yeah. for female directors to enter movie jail, doesn't it? We've talked in the past yeah. about Patty Jenkins. What was it? 11 years between Wonder Woman and Monster? And Monster 13. Woman, 13 years? Yeah. Was it 13 years? Yeah. Wow. 20, 20, 2004 to 2017. Wow. Yeah. Was it? Wow. Bloody hell. I mean, uh, you know, Mimi even, Leader. Even Catherine Bigelow after K-19 went to jail. She had to, she had to make her own, basically make her own money yeah. to, uh, to make uh, Hurt Locker and get back on it. Yeah. Catherine Hardwick got no credit for the set, the success of Twilight. Of Twilight. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a phenomenon I talk about in, in my book, Women versus Hollywood. Oh, sounds good. Now, um, of, of franchise theft, you know, if a woman does make a successful first film that becomes a franchise, it's usually a man who then takes over, uh, the sequels. Um, mm. This happens in like Wayne's World. It happened with Twilight. It happened with Mamma Mia. It happened again and again and again in history. Anyway, my point is, I hope that Olivia Wilde does more because I like the level of ambition, the level of care and attention paid to the way this looks and feels. It just didn't quite work in, in the story and the script and, and, and bringing those themes together at the end of the day. So there's still a lot of potential here for a great director of the future. You know, and and I want to see her go on to do that. But yeah, I give this three stars, mm-hmm. um, which is a mm-hmm. recommendation, just not quite as resounding a one as I hoped it would be. Mm. Don't worry, darling. Gets three stars. Don't worry, darling. Don't worry, darling. I three wouldn't. Stars. I wouldn't give. Don't worry, darling. You just sound like hey, hey Dougie. Oh God, I know. Okay. Hey Dougie, uh, narrated by Alexander Armstrong, uh, <laughs> of course, and it's oh such a warm hug, a, a warm stop Dougie, it. Dougie hug. Stop it, James. You would love it. I will never watch you it. You would go love away. it. You would love it I've so only, much. You've only just stopped talking about fucking Bluey. Oh don't Bluey! Don't with... even get me started on Bluey. It'll be oh. Storybots next week. When do you see? I don't think it will be Storybots or Grizzy and the Lemmings. Stop it! Oh, you're Dougie. making things up now. Dougie hug. It's so oh woof no it's so just good stop Jim tell say. me about one of the many films you've seen this week I have seen two films <laughs> this week well done James thank you you've right. earned your watching films badge don't give him a cookie just watch two <laughs> films yeah I watched two films this year he's, he's, he's hit his quota for this year <laughs> to be fair I also watched nine hours of television for the pilot TV yes, podcast yes but you actually so. watched that for that podcast <laughs> I know you actually do the stuff that you're meant to do for that podcast and yet here you just kind of uh, I wouldn't say even coast by on charm because it's not that I'm not sure what it is you're coasting by on fumes presence. <laughs> actual presence I'm just here that's it you're here I'm, I'm a fixture <laughs> yes, I know. I've tried to remove you many times. Anyway, talk about film. You okay. can, after Yang, after Yang, or I'm going to first talk about Catherine Called Birdie. Catherine Called Birdie. All right, which is Lena Dunham's second film of uh, this year, I believe, after Sharpstick, which I haven't seen. Uh, it wasn't released in this country. Oh, well, then I, that will be knowledge. Why. Okay. Uh, well, this is an adaptation of the YA book from the '90s by Karen Cushman, and it stars- is that a Geordie's favorite book? YA. 
Yes, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> this stars the ever-excellent Bella Ramsey as Lady Catherine, also called Birdie. Wow. Uh, who is a young... Well, she's 14, I think. So she's a young lady coming of age in medieval times. This is, it has to be said, an odd little film. So the idea from this is that she's coming of age. The big drama at this begins is she begins to get her first period and it's kind of treated with a mixture of disgust and horror, not because she's having a period, because of what it means for her. Sorry, I just fainted. Right, okay. Uh, you know, but she she has a similar, a similar reaction to it. She's stuffing pads down the cracks and the floor to try and hide them because she doesn't want her father to know because she doesn't want to get married to some crusty old man. So her dad, who's a kind of a, frankly, a f- lunatic who buys tigers and stuff off eBay. Andrew um, Scott. Indeed. Oh, that's my alarm. Turn on aircon. That was alarming. We'll do that. We'll do that at the end of this. Yes, we will. We won't forget because it's bloody hot. It is. <laughs> I can see now when there's a sign yeah. on the aircon Ooh. saying, do not turn off yeah, aircon. It's very hot in there. Um, what was I saying? Uh, Andrew Scott. Yes, Andrew Scott, who does things like buy tigers on eBay and stuff and, and, and ruins their family by spending all their money. On medieval aid, but eBay. Uh, many, medieval Med eBay. No, no it's not working. Anyway, yeah. so he does things like that. And the whole point is he needs money. She's a girl. He can get a dowry. So he's trying to auction her off to whomever will marry her. So, you know, feisty little soul that she is. She does her best to put off every single suitor who comes calling. She's very, very funny. It's kind of an epistolary format where, in the same way that the book was, so it's based on her diary in the book. And so you hear her narrating her diary through this. And she's very funny. She's very sassy. She's like, it uses an anachronistic soundtrack with lots of breathy covers of kind of pop hits. Uh, but it has a slightly odd, almost horrible histories vibe. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 got a really strange tone to it. And it has an incredibly English tone to it as well. Mm. Uh, I kept expecting Daisy May Cooper to come kind of strolling through like I was watching an episode <laughs> of The Witchfinder. Um, it, it's, wow, it's, there's a show I did not expect you to reference. There you go. We do all sorts on the Pilot TV podcast. The pilot has done some good for you. <laughs> Did you enjoy the Witchfinder? Not really. Oh, uh, <laughs> but like, so this is a lovely, <laughs> lovely film, and it's actually quite charming. But it's also quite bleak. Bear in mind, it's based on a YA book, but it doesn't feel really? like it's necessary. It doesn't feel like it's aimed at that audience necessarily, because there is a bleakness to this. Because the thrust of this whole film is being a woman is dreadful. Like mm. that's that's what it and and it established it very very clearly, and it shows you how being a woman in medieval times was much much more dreadful. But it rams it home, and it it hits quite hard. Like it's quite like all the way through this, I kind of felt this sort of weight, the oppressive weight of this film all the way through. So it's not what- the film that's weighty; it's the patriarchy yeah, sure I, I don't deny it you know of which we are all not so much you Helen complicit <laughs> but you know it, so it, she's really funny in it and some of her lines are brilliant Joe Alwyn's in this as well as we said Andrew Scott who plays her father is great Billy Piper is fantastic as her mother she's a lot of fun as well um so I let, and and you've got Ralph Innocent turns up in it. Um, what's his chops? Whose name I always forget. Paul K. Uh, Paul K. That's it. A lot of Game of Thrones people in this. Fact, Tommen's in it too. Um, but so it's great. She's great. And actually, what I mainly got from this was, I'm really looking forward to The Last of Us. Oh, God. Um. It has nothing to because do she it. plays Ellie in the oh, last. Oh, I of see. Us. Okay, right. And that's a show I'm really looking forward to. And I, I wasn't 100 percent sold on her casting as Ellie. But, but having watched this, I'm much more confident about her as Ellie. She, oh, I mean, yeah, she is fabulous in this. And Andrew Scott, some of his line readings in this are poetry. Mm. They should be in a museum. And I just freaking love him. His character of Rollo is kind of hateful for most of the film. King but Rollo? he manages to keep Lord him. Oh. He manages to keep him quite likeable because his delivery is very playful and fun. Yeah. 
Uh, and I think that's that's the line he's walking. He's doing awful things because he's part of this awful system. Which, by the way, that was one of my big problems with the with the film is that, as I understand it, like dowries didn't work that way at that time in Europe, and it really annoyed me because it would have been them trying to get money to get her married, not them receiving money yes. for her being married. And, that didn't. Yeah. I, that, so that really kind of niggled at me the whole way through the film. I was like, that is not how this worked. I think. And, and look, I'm not a historian, so I may be wrong, and this may be the exact time when the dowries didn't work that way. It was more of a bride this is, price. I was about to say, this is a bride price, isn't this it? Is a bride dowry, price. A dowry is exactly yeah. when the father so, of the bride would pay the money to take the bride I off think, their hands. You know, yes. thematically, I get why they're doing what they're doing, and it, and it kind of does work thematically. And, and it's it's a, it's a lot of the time really charming despite discussing yes all these incredibly awful things yeah. i thought some of her behavior as a character was a little bit over the top sometimes like birdie was so awful <laughs> so much of the time that i thought like again in even given slightly permissive parents in that era she still would have been kind of whipped into shape a little bit by by more tutors well, and so on there are so, points sorry yeah okay. so so i i thought like they i think i think it's a very lena dunham thing to mm. over egg how awful her heroine is for lols but in a way that maybe removes some of her believability well there me. were points in this where she is talking back to her father in really cutting ways where because i said because the tone it it borders between kind of oppressive and playful. There were parts where I genuinely thought something really horrible and violent is going to happen because of the way she was talking to him and the way he would act and generally beat her with a stick in a comedic way. I thought, this could take a nasty turn. It doesn't, thankfully. But it kind of walks that line, and I wonder whether that's the reason why I reacted that way was because the tone is quite uncertain and it's mm. not overtly playful all the time. It's very conscious of the fact that she's fun, it's funny, but this is a real thing and it's shit. Yeah, I think that's it. All right. Well, we gave this one three stars. Sounds like there's a lot to get your teeth into with Catherine called Birdie. No comma in the title. There is a comma in the book. Uh, very controversial, the ditching of the comma. Yeah, there should be a comma. It would be better yeah. with a comma. Oh, well. It is Most what it is. Because otherwise it's Catherine called Birdie. So Birdie was over there and Catherine called her. Yeah. 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 It's just but basic grammar. Three stars then for Catherine called Birdie. And then James has also seen another film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done for the year now. Yeah. It's called After Yang, yeah, and this is a film that I've been looking forward to for a long time because since it, it, I think it was at Sundance in January. It was in, it was that last it year was in the states. Can last, last? No way. Yeah, yeah. It's it a long time. I've lost track mm. of time completely. Yeah. It's taken a long time to hit over here, and when it has hit, it has hit on Sky. It is now a Sky original, uh, so they've picked it up, and this stars Colin Farrell and Jodie Turner Smith and Jimbo. Mm. No, it doesn't start Jimbo, but it starts me. There was a comma there, and <laughs> we're setting up Jimbo. Commas are important. Colon, speak. Thank you. Yeah, so this is written, directed, and edited by Koganada, who did uh, Columbus. Uh, and it's another odd little film. So this stars Colin Farrell as the father of a family. His wife's Jodie Turner-Smith, and he has a young adopted daughter who is Chinese. And in this sort of sort of futuristic world, they've gone to the Apple store, essentially, and they've hired a sibling or bought a sibling, a robotic sibling, uh, a kind of a robo-sapien, not like the little... The little yeah. Gorilla monkey droid thing. Importantly, they didn't buy it directly from the no, Apple store. No, you're right. They bought it from an Apple-approved subsidiary. As it were. As it were. Uh, and they bought this 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 uh, sort of second sibling, this android 
sort of person who will be part caring for the child, but also helping their Chinese adopted daughter stay in touch with the Chinese heritage. And that's Yang. And Yang's been a part of their family for quite some time. And they do all kinds of crazy things, like have synchronized dance-offs with Yang, which is an extended sequence which kind of blew my mind in this. But at the end of said dance-off, Yang develops a problem. And he shuts down and they cannot reboot him. So Yang is, for all intents and purposes, broken. So they set out to try and fix Yang when he is still under warranty, but crucially not to the actual manufacturer, but to an authorised reseller, which makes it all very, very problematic. So he's taking him around various places to try and get Yang fixed. Now, the plot which is actually not the central part of this film, is him trying to get Yang fixed, finding out that Yang is an unusual model and that there are some, shall we say, discrepancies with Yang's memory which indicate he may have had a life prior to his life with their family. So that's the kind of story, the mystery, which is untangling Yang's past. But this kind of isn't really a film about plot and it's not really about mystery. It's like a philosophical musing and meditation on what it is to be sentient, what it is to be human, human attachment, Mm -hmm. parenting, being a child. It's very, you know, emotional. It's more a state of mind. And I think, like, if you look at the, like, Jodie Turner-Smith and and Colin Farrell are both great in this, but the performances they give are so subdued. They're so Mm. understated. They're almost not acted. They're just like, it's like they're in some kind of vibe. And it's the vibe that's important more than everything else they do. And I I, I kind of found myself just drifting along with this and sinking into it. And it reminded me, obviously, obviously of AI, just thematically, it's very like AI. But that bit when... What's it, what's the kid's name in AI? What's his name? What's his name? What's the boy's name in AI? What's the character? Um, Haley Joel Osment. Who is he? I was going to say Haley Joel Osment. Robo Boy. He plays, ro- yeah, Robo Boy. Robo Boy. When Robo Boy is essentially abandoned, when she basically has a real biological child and therefore throws the mecha child to the wolves, so to speak, it's like that thematically is as close this whole film is kind of meditating on that you know it's biology versus mechanics whether we can ascribe sentience to to artificial life forms but also our attachments to them and when we talk about ai and when when you get fiction about ai i think it always looks at you know the threat of ai the risks of ai whereas this is talking about how we as humans will relate to ai on an emotional level and for that i think it's actually fascinating and i kind of went with it it's a weird dreamy little film it definitely Mm. won't be for everyone but it asks big questions and crucially it offers absolutely no answers whatsoever it just wants you to ruminate yeah i think that's fair and and it's a it's a beautiful kind of little family story as well so Jodie Turner-Smith seems to be the real main breadwinner as Kyra, and Colin Farrell is the more, you know, he's the he's the house husband. He's the yeah. he's the guy who I think works from home, but he he is at home. He's the primary kind of carer for for Mika, um, and and you know, and there's the, the interesting kind of sibling dynamic and how what she does and how she deals with the sudden just absence of essentially a brother, who by the way was played by Justin Min from. Uh, Umbrella Academy, mm. Ben from Umbrella Academy. Um, but yeah, it is just a shaggy dog story. It is just kind of wandering around. And there are issues beyond robots. There's issues about clones as well and how we as humans relate to other human-like figures if we had the chance to create them. It's, it's a film really about empathy, I guess. Um, but one that takes place in this fabulous house. Which looks like a Muji store. Which does, but like like a really good Muji store, <laughs> like on the edge of a forest. I mean, it's beautiful and they have nice neighbours and everything. Also, it just it's another example, I feel like, of, of Colin Farrell being one of the most interesting actors in the world. I just feel like if, you know, this is a guy who could just coast and be a movie star because he looks like a movie star. And then he just goes off and, you know, he does this, he does... Banshees of Sharon. he mm. coats himself in 17 tons of latex and plays the penguin. He just, 
doesn't give a shit about, you know, what everyone thinks he should do. He just goes and does whatever interests him. And I, I fucking love that for him. He is, anytime you see Colin Farrell in anything, it's probably a sign it's going to be interesting yeah. and different. Oh, hi, great. Even 13 Lives. I mean, who saw him doing that? Do you know what I mean? Oh, love him. Anyway, they're all great, but but him in particular, I think it's his film. It is. And Coganadas, obviously. <laughs> more, more to the point, perhaps. <laughs> All right, so we don't have an Empire review yet of After Yang, but what would you guys give it? I think it's probably a four. Sounds yeah, like I would a four. say so. Sounds like a four, and it's on like Sky. Like I say, it won't be for everyone, but I do think it's a four-star film. All right, it's on Sky. If you want to watch it this week, it's available via your Sofaplex, so check it out. And also, Avatar is back in cinemas this week. Mm. Are you going to go watch it? I did already. I went to a screening of this re-release version last weekend, and um, I, l- I mean, I still liked it. <laughs> There's a shock. Um, I, I'll be honest, I'm not the most uh, technically minded person in the world. I just sort of sank into the film and didn't particularly notice, oh, they've adjusted the frame rate or, oh, they've cleaned up the whatever there. I, I just had a blast. It's really good seeing it on the big screen again, to be honest. And especially I felt like before The Way of Water comes out in December, I thought it was a, a useful chance to remind ourselves how impactful that film was in the moment when you're watching it. Damn straight. It's great. I think it has aged very well. I think you've aged very well. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. That is literally the nicest thing you've ever said to him. Yeah, he has, though, hasn't he? It's because he, he's got no hair, as you can't tell. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's true. I was bald when you met me, so it makes no difference. Yeah. Um, you've aged very, very well as well, Helen. That's very kind. Thank, Thank you, Chris. And now you say it's back to And you've also aged extraordinarily well. Christ. <laughs> Good Lord. Honestly. <laughs> to fish, literally fish for compliments. Well, not literally. I mean, I don't have a fishing rod then, but you know. Ah, thanks, friend. Thanks. You're welcome. What did you get me, by the way? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I got you the same you got me for my birthday. Oh, interesting. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> you mean a live reading of Women vs. Hollywood? Thanks, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot wait for that. Uh, anyway, on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by, I think, BJ Novak. Ooh. Yes, that's right. AKA Ryan from the American version of The Office, the superior version of The Office, although I know we're splitting hairs because the British version is also a classic. But yes, he is Ryan on The Office, and he has written and directed and starred in a film called Vengeance, which is coming out here in two weeks' time and apparently is very good. Hurrah. I'm going to see it in the next few days and speak to him next week. So there you go. So fingers crossed he's going to be on the podcast and maybe some other people as well. I don't know. Uh, anyway. Until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye for my two colleagues of such lethal cunning who are even now about to head off to a local shop and buy me a great birthday present, James Dyer. Goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, happy, James. Happy birthday. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Merry New Year and all that stuff. It's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Totally. And it's goodbye from me. You were talking earlier on in Gateway Horror about earworms. Mm-hmm. And there's a particularly egregious earworm for me right now. No, no. Here it no. comes. No, no. Love no. is an anger. No. no. It really and makes you wonder why we <sighs> hold on this with tears in alpha our eyes. And I wonder why you have to break down. To watch Jurassic World Dominion, Dixted Edition is available now on all oh home God. entertainment networks. Thank you very much indeed for listening. See you next week. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>